I like the dungeon crawling music because it was upbeat and jazzy. It really reminded me of, um, oh God, what the hell is his name? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's his name, but all right. Now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where Single Banana and I, Ghost 81 discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and played by a community of gamers on RF Generation and social media platforms like Twitter. Every episode features input from the community and maybe some guests. For episode 58, we're kicking off the new year with something we've never done before. For this episode, I have with me an in-person guest. He's a new member of our forum who goes by the moniker of Turn Around and Run, but our listeners are more familiar with him than they may realize. We will be discussing our first game of 2019, the dungeon-crawling anime-styled adventure RPG from Kojima Productions, Lunar Nights for the Nintendo DS. Is this vampire space adventure worth hunting down for your collection, or is it better left in the darkness? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to our show on Podbean and iTunes, where we always appreciate a good review. On Twitter, we're at RFG Playcast, and Rich is at The Single Banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to rfgeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thanks again for listening, and now, on with the Playcast.
All right. I think we should just introduce the guest first and foremost, because I'm excited that we have our first ever in-person guest. Yeah, you built this up too. Yeah, we've been doing, you know, Rich, we've been doing the show forever. We've had tons of guests. Uh, we talked about this in our 50th episode. We've had over 20 different people on the show besides you and myself, but we've never had an in-person guest. So sitting right next to me is a new member on our forum known as Turn Around and Run. But our community knows of the gentleman who is with me because he is my good friend, Corey, who is the person who I go to all the shows with that I talk about <laughs> in the concert cast. And he's also the person who very generously donated his talent and skills to designing our logo and our Twitter layout. So... Corey, uh, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. Um, name's Corey. Been working with uh, Sean for quite a few years now. He's um, a good guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to lie just because he's sitting beside you. Um, born and raised in Texas. Lived in Austin for over 12 years now. Probably will never leave because I love this city so much. Yeah, and you know, I would call myself more of a novice video game player, but I've really started playing video games a lot more over the past couple of years. Uh, really picked up uh, a lot more game systems and stuff. Used to just rock the PlayStation 4, but now I've gotten some other things like 3DS, Wii. So yeah, that's a little bit about myself. Can I tell the story of when we were first working together and I was trying to get you to talk about video games? Yeah, of course. So <laughs> Corey starts working with me and I'm trying to find common ground because I didn't know him very well. And uh, I just tried to talk up video games. Oh, do you like video games? I love them. Everything I do is about video games. <laughs> and I was just being like way overbearing. And he was like... Yeah, I have a PS4. Sometimes I play Fallout. And I was like, did you ever play Fallout 3? Did you ever play New Vegas? And he finally, he was just like, dude, I don't really play video games that much. Like, <laughs> But as he just stated, I, I think I've worked on that for a while and I've changed him. And now he's here. And now being a member of an RF generation, I'm curious, where did the name Turn Around and Run come from? Is that something you've been using for a long time or is I, something you came up for this? Uh, no, actually, I used to use it a lot uh, when I was, you know, high school, junior high. I used it in message boards. Uh, I used to be a part of a baseball message board for the Houston Astros. And then I used to also be on a video game message board with some friends back when we were younger. And that's what I used back then. So awesome. I haven't used it in years, but I, you know, back in the day, that was like my Hotmail email address, turn around and run <laughs> at Hotmail.com. So that is where it came from. Nice. And just curious, as far as gaming's concerned, you say you're recently have been playing more games but did you play when you were younger oh yeah totally and uh yeah i grew up loving video games buying every new system that came out nes super nes and nintendo 64 sega genesis all that i didn't stop playing because i was over video games or anything it's just kind of that time in my life where it just wasn't happening and i didn't have time to do it because i went back to school and stuff like that and Sean kind of uh, helped me like find my love for video games again and got me to start playing more. So 
Yeah, I think sometimes we all go into that video game lull where we play them growing up and probably play them into college. But I, you know, myself, I had several years where I just stopped and uh, didn't pick up a stick for a long time and then got back into it, of course, a few years later. So uh, that's interesting. So, yeah, I don't see myself going back now that I'm done with school and I have more time on my hands. I see the hobby of video gaming sticking with me for the rest of my life. So. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) And Sean, I have to ask you a question just because you kind of brought it up and piqued my curiosity. How do you approach coworkers about video gaming and the fact that you're a gamer? I mean, is that something that just comes out or do you have to kind of uh, dip your toe in the pool and get a feeler first? Because I find that I have to do the latter. Yeah, I also do the latter. You got to get a read for somebody if they're going to give a shit or not. You can tell right away if they're not going to care. And I'm not going to chat somebody's ear off about something they're not going to care. Like, again, my first impression with Corey was that he didn't care too much about video games. So I left it alone for a long time. But mm-hmm. once we get to know each other and realize we like the same kind of music and all that other stuff, it kind of came naturally after a long time. But yeah, a lot of people don't care, but you got to get it out there because that's when people say, oh, I have a bunch of these in my attic. You want them? You know, that's that's the scenario we all (laughs) want. Uh, So but it's just awesome to be able to connect with people at work. We have a couple of people at our job that are big gamers. And I talk about the dudes that we work with that work at GameStop and uh, how that is very helpful, and we chat with them all day about games. So it's, That's cool. it's pretty awesome. And Corey, um, I wanted to ask you one more question. You're a new member to the site, so I want to hear what your kind of honest initial impressions are of it so far. Honestly, I think that I I really want to start posting more on there and doing more of the uh, – playthroughs that y'all do i mean this is the first one i've done since i was coming on the podcast as a guest but you know moving forward i want to keep doing that it was fun seeing everyone's insight as they were playing this game and i just i think it's an awesome forum because you know as i was looking through it like it's not just video game related which is awesome but like you know i also saw there's threads where you can talk to people about books you're reading what kind of like exercise regimen you're on you know I think it's a great forum and I want to get more invested in it and spend more time talking and chatting with people on it. I mean, just from a little bit of reading that I've done, it seems like there's good opportunities to talk to people on potentially trading games, you know, oh, finding yeah. good games from people that are on the forum. So I really like it and I plan on moving forward to spend more time on the forum chatting with people and getting to know people. That's great. I mean, I feel like most of the people that join our site join it for the collecting tool to be able to catalog their games and things of that nature, because that honestly is what our site is primarily for. But it's good to hear that, you know, we've got new people joining the forums because that's really one of my favorite parts as well. And pretty much the reason that Sean and I and uh, Jamie and Floyd basically created the show was to get more buzz and more discussion on the site and, you know, hopefully bring in some new members to play some of our playthroughs. All right, Rich, let's roll into the concert cast. So I have a good one because Corey and I went to the same show that we're going to talk about, but you seem to have some kind of announcement. So would you rather go first or do you want us to talk about the snail mail show that we went to? Oh, no, man. I want to save mine for last. Yeah, I thought you might say that. All right. So Corey, you and I went to see a band called Snail Mail 
And I got to tell you and tell our audience what I said in the car on the way there, which is that, man, this is one of those shows where I think we were just bored at work one day and I saw a concert announcement and I was like, let's get tickets to this. And I said, here, listen to this music. And you said, all right, sounds cool. Let's go. I didn't really listen to the album as much as I wanted to. And even on our last episode, I mentioned it as an honorable mention for an album of the year because I had such a good impression of it. But as we were in your car driving to the concert, played about four or five songs off the album. And I said, man, I don't know if I'll ever listen to this again after this (laughs) concert because... The songs just all kind of blend together. They're very pleasant, very melodic, but I couldn't tell one song from another. And lo and behold, my impression of this show was that of all the shows we've been to, we've seen some great, amazing bands and we've seen some really shitty bands. But I couldn't think of a show we've gone to that was so bland and that I was just so nonplussed by the entire experience. So I completely agree with you on everything that you're saying. I do want to give some credit. Like, so yes, it was a very bland show, but I mean, this band is super talented, but it's like you said, like after four or five songs, it's like, you know, I've heard this. The crowd seemed very like unenthusiastic. I was, you know, I like crowd looking when I'm at a show and everyone was on their phone or just talking to their significant other. Like Mm. it just, I don't know. It was the elements weren't great either. It was really cold outside. So there was no like energy at the show, like, you know, maybe to move around and warm up a little bit. Like this band just didn't offer any kind of energy at all. I mean, I got to give them credit. They sounded great. Like their album is really good, but it's just, as Sean said, it's, I think it's a one-time thing and maybe I'll listen to them on the rarest of occasions moving forward. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I believe I listened to some tracks from this album. Was this the more shoegazy type music, Sean? Yeah, this is an album that sounds almost like really old Liz Fair, but with no pop to it. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, I shouldn't say no pop. And I'm, I'm really, it really sounds like I'm trashing something that I was previously praising, and it's not really like that. So, like... Exile to Guyville type Liz Fair stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Older stuff. Okay. But imagine that taken down a notch <laughs> and just mm, being like okay. kind of smoother and sweeter and less jagged. But the guitar work is very similar. I would say that's where those two things kind of come together. No beers were thrown at this show, <laughs> but there was one guy who was like blackout drunk and passed out like a ton of bricks and they had to take him out in an ambulance. <laughs> So of all the shows for something like that to happen, it was this mellow ass, like everybody's just kind of chilling kind of show. And this moron just freaking does a face plant into the concrete and has to get taken out in an ambulance. So (laughs) somehow this, I don't know. Well, I think that uh, Snail Mail picked their opener. They were called Why Bonnie? And they should totally try to find a band that's maybe opposite of them because it was just the same thing like waiting for snail mail it's like i'm already bored like you know mm-hmm. sean and i've seen a lot of terrible openers yeah. <laughs> this band was by no means terrible but it was just like not the right pick for them to open yeah i can understand that i've seen a few shoegaze shows and when i saw the clientele 
it was just fun to listen to, but I believe like their opener was kind of totally opposite from what I remember and really energetic. So probably that helped keep us awake through the night. Sometimes you just go to shows and you, you know the music's just going to be subdued and beautiful and it's still a good show. But I think that the performers have to really work the crowd and uh, make it a little more vivacious than uh, the music usually is. Well, that's it for our concert cast. So I'm dying to hear what this really no is. tickets or anything. Uh, nothing new, actually. You know, okay. everything that I'm going to or that the both of us are going to, we've already discussed on the show. So let's all right, wait till we go to some more shows, or if I have any kind of random musical recommendations next time. Well, I'm going to make you wait a little bit longer and talk about uh, <laughs> uh, one album that I've picked up very recently and then another album that I've been listening to just on repeat for the last few weeks because I picked it up for $3. The album that I've been listening to that my wife and I are really digging is I picked up a copy of a band called The The. The album is Soul Mining. Are you familiar with this band, either of you? Not at all. No, I haven't heard of them either. Oh, okay. So it's an 80s new wave band, and I highly, highly recommend checking this album out. It's so good. And again, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm listening to Exium, and I hear a few songs by a band called The The, and, you know, I'm just thumbing through vinyl, and it's two ninety nine, and I'm like, you know what? Three bucks. Why not? I'll take it home and give it a shot, and it's just one that has stayed on our turntable for the last two weeks straight, and my wife and I are really, really digging it. So if you get a chance, check out The The Soul Mining. Good album. And then, Sean, I sent you a text um, two days ago, I think it was. I had gone out at work just to uh, go to my used media store that I frequent, and I sent you a text with a picture in it, and I think my caption in that picture was, yeah, motherfucker, <laughs> and it was... <laughs> And it was a copy of Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever. I actually found it on vinyl. I found it for seven bucks and I was freaking out. And for seven bucks, I was like, I don't care if this was, you know, a later release or whatever, but this is the original 1989 pressing of this album. And it's, as we mentioned, um, I think in our 1989 show that we did, it's going on eBay for 40 to 50 bucks. Of course, 1989, cassettes were still in, and uh, CDs were coming out, so vinyl wasn't being pressed a whole lot. So it's made this album really, really hard for me to find. But uh, yeah, man, I got it for 7 bucks, and uh, we've been listening to that nonstop for the last two days. Such a great album. So really happy to find that. Now I just need to find B-52's Cosmic Thing, and I'll be really, really happy. That is awesome. Yeah, I was, I was really happy to see that you found that, and... Uh... I feel like that will always be one of my favorite albums and one of the albums from my childhood, like I said, that just never fades. And I was into a lot of rock and roll and classic rock and cool stuff when I was younger because of what my family was into. And Full Moon Fever is just the album that just never fades away. You can listen to it anytime, no matter what mood you're in. And uh, it's just incredible. Yeah, we went out last night for my birthday, which is actually tomorrow. Went out with a few friends. Some of them came into town and stayed at the house last night. Went out to dinner and went out to like a uh, barcade and had a good time. And uh, we woke up this morning and cooking breakfast for everyone and just blasting full moon fever in the background, you know. And so it was really a lot of fun. 
So, uh, yeah, really happy to have that. All right, so on to my big announcement. My wife and I are celebrating our 15-year anniversary this year. That's awesome. Yeah, it's on May the 29th, and we've kind of kicked around some different places to go to. And, you know, she's trying to settle on something that, you know, we would really, really like to do for our anniversary, get away from the kids and enjoy ourselves. And um, we've been looking into one city in particular to go to and found out that one of our favorite bands, Judas Priest, is playing May 29th at Austin City Limits. So we are coming to Austin. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so get ready, Sean. That's great. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, man. What was that date again? I'm going to actually write it down. Yeah, it's going to be May the 29th. We're going to fly in that day and then go to the show that night. And then I think we may stay for a day or two and then venture down to San Antonio and then come back up because my wife has a conference out there that she does yearly. And so we just kind of decided to blend those two things together and come up to Austin. So, uh, yeah, man, we'll have to set a date to record and, of course, hang out some while I'm there. And uh, you guys can show us around. Be a good time. Hell yeah, that's going to be awesome. I had a feeling that this would be your announcement, and I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited. That's not that far off either, so yeah. we'll have to plan for it and see uh, what game we would be playing for that show, and yeah, get all prepped up, and that, man, I can't wait. That's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a good time, and uh, totally excited about seeing Priest. Like, on the night of our anniversary, I think it's really cool. Uh, so my friends were like, is your wife into that? I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My <laughs> wife is definitely into metal. So, uh, yeah, it should be uh, a really good time. And I'm really excited about going to Austin City Limits, you know, because I definitely watched the show on PBS. So uh, that's going to be really cool. They're actually playing two nights, the 28th and the 29th. But uh, we got tickets for the latter night, which I always find with bands that play multiple nights, the la- last night is usually the better show. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Nice. Do you happen to know which specific venue it's at? Because Austin City Limits is like an umbrella that there's oh, okay. a few. There's like a few clubs, a few theaters that. If you said it, I would probably know it, but I can't remember off the top of my head. No. Okay. What's the one we went to? I can't remember. <laughs> Corey and I went to something at one of them, and I can't remember what it was yeah, called. Yeah, I hate that I can't remember right now. <laughs> this seems like a big venue that has like a balcony. Yeah, that's probably where we were. The theater and, and some standing room too. Yeah. You'll enjoy it. Is this your first time coming to Austin, Rich? It is. Awesome. Uh, my wife went last year, and she just went for some training. She enjoyed herself, but she didn't get to go out a lot, you know, and, and really didn't want to venture out by herself too much, which I completely understand. And um, you know, just kind of go down there, do that, maybe eat at a few restaurants, and then you know, fly back. So we're really excited to um, take on the city and you know, see all the new sites. I have been to Texas before. I've been to Dallas, Lubbock, and then I've been out into New Mexico. So I, I really love it out west. So um, really looking forward to a good time. Well. Corey, we definitely got to take him the pinballs. Yeah, for Rich sure. collects pinball. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, definitely. We'll do that one night. Yeah. yeah, and if you guys can find a show that would be uh, fun to go see, I actually looked on a few websites and no one's really announced anything yet. Usually big shows are the only ones that announce it that far in advance. But if you guys find a show like the Mohawk or something like that, that would be like a fun experience for us as well. We'd love to do that. Hell yeah. Awesome. All right, so. Let's talk about uh, some of the homework assignments we had for, the, <laughs> for this episode. 
So, uh, Rich, I mentioned when we were talking about Bioshock and our question was, what are your favorite dystopias? I mentioned that mine was Neo Tokyo from the film Akira. And you had mentioned that you had never seen Akira. So a couple of weeks later, you picked up a copy and I said, all right, we're going to watch it and we're going to talk about it. And of course, I had Corey go ahead and participate in this homework assignment as well. Uh, I've seen the movie before, but I rewatched it last night and I still maintain that it's probably one of my favorite dystopias. I quite enjoy the movie, but I'm interested to get you guys' impressions of it. So, Corey, you watched it. What did you think? I mean, I don't want to, like... <laughs> All I can say is, wow. Like, I loved it. Like, oh, okay. it was my first time ever seeing it. I was semi-familiar with it, but I haven't watched a ton of, like, older animes. But I thought it was awesome. It might have been one of the best, like, sci-fi animes I've ever seen, to be honest. Wow. As I was watching it, I was like, I don't even really know what to say about it other than that it was awesome. I love the animation quality, the storyline. I thought it was very, like, great for the time it came out. It was the late 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought it was really good. It was a great recommendation. I definitely will watch it again in the near future. I liked it that much. Wow. That's not what I thought you were going to say. We really? were like, oh, this <laughs> yeah. is tough. I don't know how to say this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought you were going to say it sucks. I did. I know. I was like, I'm going to have to break your heart, Sean. <laughs> I didn't know how to lead it off because like, I didn't want to like build it up so much. I just watched it recently, first time seeing it, but it's definitely up there. It was one of the best animes I've ever seen. So Nice. Rich, what about you? I thought it f***ing sucked. No. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, I really enjoyed it too. I have to preface it by saying that I watched this during a work day. So I was doing some work and I kind of had it on in the background. So I didn't get to pay as much attention to it as I would have liked. But uh, yeah, man, it's a really, really fun movie. Enjoy the animation. It looked really, really crisp. And, and um, you know, most of the stuff that I've probably watched uh, as far as anime is concerned is usually from that era. Yeah. Now, Corey, I want to ask you real quick. Probably about two years ago, I had a little get-together here where we got a bunch of our friends together and we watched the original The Ghost in the Shell. Mm -hmm. And now, as far as, like, gatekeeping classic anime that people say, oh, you're into anime? Have you ever seen X, Y, and Z? Have you ever seen this? Have you ever seen that? Like, you've seen now two of the, the big whales. Like, mm -hmm. you've seen Akira and Ghost in the Shell. How do you feel like they compare and like as far as if you were to recommend somebody oh i want to watch a classic anime like would you say like they're on equal footing or one's way better than the other or like i would very much say they're on equal footing but if it came down to someone asking one or the other i would say akira both great movies but i just particularly really like this one you know that's awesome but the ghost in the shell is awesome too you can't go wrong with that one Still have not seen it. Oh, man. I, I guess we'll be discussing that. <laughs> Here comes more homework. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can do that every few months. You can recommend one anime for me to watch. I would really like to watch Perfect Blue again oh, uh, and discuss Blue. that. Yeah. I haven't seen that in years. And then, of course... I would like to talk about Battle Angel at some point, especially with the new movie coming out that looks like crap. Did we I'm, not I'm so talk disappointed. about that? I remember no, I watched that on your watching recommendation it, yeah. not that long ago, but we never talked about it. Okay. 
Uh, yeah. I thought it was cool. But yeah, that was a good recommendation, by the way. <laughs> uh, but getting back to Akira, there's a few things that I wanted to note about it. One is I really love the theme as far as the sort of dystopia that was created by the Third World War and the reasons behind that, you know. So, yeah kind of supernatural being i always thought that akira was the name of the main character of this movie but one of the cool things about it is there's really no main character in this movie there's a guy that always appears on the posters that you always see but i would argue that this movie's about several characters oh yeah and that the name of the film is actually a representation of this supernatural power and not a physical character in the film which i thought was neat and uh i really enjoyed that a lot um, the second thing I wanted to mention, did you notice what year this was taking uh, place? I was in? just going to say that the far <laughs> flung future of 2019. I, yes. I was chuckling when I saw that on the screen. I had kind of forgotten that that was the exact year. <laughs> that was really cool. It's one of the things I picked up on. And the other thing that I picked up on that I was really shocked about is Sean's love of this movie. Yet two dogs get capped. Yeah. In this movie. Yeah. So I was like, ah, how do you justify that? Is it easier when you see, like, when it happens, like, in anime as opposed to when there may be a movie where a dog or something gets harmed? You know, I, I just gristle against it. It's not super gratuitous in this. Mm. Uh, it's not like Battle Angel. <laughs> no, nor uh, Wolfenstein 2, which was, like, my worst example of it. So... I know exactly the scene you're saying because I had kind of forgotten about it. And when it happened, I was like, oh, whoops, like forgot about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I was a little triggered. <laughs> All right. So move up to our next piece of homework. Actually, Rich, I know you're, you're going to kind of back off on this one. Well, I just want to say, first of all, that we did our Bioshock thing and we went out on a limb and got a little bit political and we talked about Ayn Rand and I just got to say, anybody who responded was wonderful. Yeah. We got some private responses, we got some public responses and nobody gave us shit for anything. Everybody was just nice, it didn't start any fights, it was just like, hey, you guys did a good job, it was cool. Like, that. Yeah. that's all I wanted to hear. So having said that, I'm going to take a little bit more time to talk about Ayn Rand because it just happened that, well, actually, Corey, I kind of forget what made you at the time decide to read The Fountainhead. Was it that I was talking about it a lot or? That partly had something to do with it. But I remember telling you two years ago that I've had an Ayn Rand book on my shelf and I've been wanting to read it and it was Anthem. So right. short read read it, loved it, and then I think we just were discussing The Fountainhead, and we went right into, you know, I went and picked it up and started reading it shortly after I finished Anthem. Yeah. So my history with The Fountainhead is that when I read Atlas Shrugged in about 2006 or 2007, I thought Atlas Shrugged was the greatest book I had ever read, and I still do. But I did something that wasn't great, which was I read The Fountainhead like two weeks later. And to me at the time, The Fountainhead paled in comparison to Atlas Shrugged. It was written before Atlas Shrugged and even Ayn Rand said, like, I forget her exact words, but she was just saying like that, that was just practice for Atlas Shrugged. You know what I mean? So going back and rereading it now, I have a completely different perspective on it and a completely new appreciation for it. And, uh, Man, I just love reading Ayn Rand's novels, and I had such a good time with it. And we won't spoil anything for you, Rich. I know you're still working on it, 
But um, I will say, like, that book is just so readable that it was hard to put down. It was hard not to just pick back up once you put it down. And she really does write these, like, romanticized, iconic characters that you just want to be like. I've been dropping these little quips about uh, Howard Rourke wouldn't do that or, yeah. you know, Howard Rourke would have done it this way, like just kind of teasing Corey at work. But there really is something to it. Like it's not a self-help book by any means, but you just look up to the characters that she writes and th mm -hmm. those are the good characters. And then the villains are just so evil and villainous in their own ways. And they're not mass murderers. They're th these conniving, manipulative people. She just writes them so well. It's amazing. So, Corey, what, yeah, what I was going to say, if you don't mind me interjecting, yeah, go. she might be one of the greatest authors at making you love characters and hate characters so much. You know, she does such a good job. Every character has much prominence in the book. I mean, there's secondary characters, but even the secondary characters you feel like you know pretty well and stuff. And it was, it was just one of those books that. I could not put down and uh, it's probably one of the fastest lengthy books or like one of the I, I read it so quick for such a lengthy book. And I remember my uh, fiance asked me, she was like, you won't quit reading that book. Like and she wanted me to explain it. And I did. And she's like, that doesn't sound very interesting. Right. I was, like you, won't. I was yeah. like, you just have to read it like an explanation doesn't do it justice. So. Yeah, a book about architecture doesn't seem very interesting at all, but <laughs> it's very captivating. I have to say, I you know, I picked it up and I probably stopped reading it around in the Thanksgiving, but I still have it at my bedside and I look at it all the time and I want to pick it up and read it. And it's just that life has gotten so busy, especially with the holidays and, you know, it's just nuts right now. My life is just so full, but I cannot wait to pick it back up. I'm thoroughly enjoying the 100 plus pages that I've already put into it and uh, definitely going to finish it. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And uh, this has got me all geared up to read Atlas Shrugged again. So yeah. can't wait to read that with you, Corey, and yeah, discuss that. Yeah, I'm looking that. forward to it. And uh, just real quick, the movie, The Fountainhead, I also watched that. And I watched a documentary called Ayn Rand, A Sense of Life, which was produced by her people. It's very pro Ayn Rand, obviously, but it's a really good documentary and has just like super high production value. Uh, so I would highly recommend that and The Fountainhead movie. The Fountainhead movie is really good if you've read the book and i would imagine not super great if you haven't read the book so i'm not going to say don't watch the movie if you haven't read the book but don't go to it thinking it's going to be amazing and that you're going to get everything out of it that you would have gotten out of the book that's it for the homework rich uh <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness <laughs> i wanted to talk a little bit about new year's resolutions because we do something like this every year and i made a big deal out of it last year just to refresh our listeners my resolution last year for 2018 revolved around the discovery that i made that in 2017 i had spent over five thousand dollars on amazon alone on video games and that was I don't want to say shocking. In a, in a way, I wasn't surprised because I knew that I was just blowing money constantly on video games that year. But when I put it in front of me in a list of figures that took up an entire notebook page and then tallied it up in the grand total and everything, and then to think 
that that was only Amazon, not eBay, not GameStop, like all the other places. You know, it was just staggering to me. So I made a resolution to not spend any money on video games. It's a little more detailed than that. It was income versus selling stuff. And I was Mm -hmm. allowed to trade. I was allowed to sell stuff and buy stuff. But I just didn't want to spend money out of my paycheck on video games. And for the most part, I succeeded. There were a few points of weakness or for the sake of expediency. Like I I realized at one point my Xbox Live account was going to expire. So I just renewed it and it wasn't the end of the world. And then when I got the PlayStation VR from Steven, of course, I had to buy a couple of games. And I, you know, I have a couple other scores that I'll talk about when we get there. But I do want to say, for the most part, I was able to stick to my goal, and I sold a ton of stuff. And I think if I had to guess, make an educated guess, that I came out on top with more cash flow coming in and games going out. And my resolutions for this year kind of remain the same. I want more stuff going out than comes in. I don't want to spend money out of my bank account on games. And I want to maintain what I'm doing as far as playing games thoughtfully and choosing carefully. And with that in mind, I actually made a backlog for about, the I think, the first time in my life. Because I have always just kind of winged it and looked at my collection. And, oh, what do I want to play? And, oh, this is something I just got new. Or, oh, this is something I've had forever. Or, obviously, uh, we play the playthrough games, but I'm talking about you know, extracurricular games, so to speak. So I actually made a backlog. That was one of my resolutions. And I want to play some of the things that I've always wanted to play. So I feel like kind of scheduling them within the calendar year of 2019, I'll be able to check off some of these things that I've had just kind of on the back burner forever. And uh, I do have the list in front of me. I don't know. I'm not going to go super deep into it. But for example, I've always wanted to play an early Hideo Kojima game. And we're about to talk about a Hideo Kojima game. But I've always wanted to play either Snatcher or Police Knots. And I have both of them available to me via emulation. So that's on my list. Like, I want to play one of those games. And if we can work that into a playthrough, that's wonderful. If not, like, I'm just going to play it on my own. Um, (laughs) That's an expensive playthrough. (laughs) Oh, very true. Very true. Uh, And stupid stuff, too. Like, I realize I haven't picked up my Vita in a very long time. So I want to play a Vita game to completion. And then there's, like, series, like, you know, Final Fantasy, I've only ever played the first one to completion. So it's like, I want to play another Final Fantasy game. And I don't know if I ever would if I didn't, like, force myself to do it. So it's just stuff like that. And uh, I think it's going to be good to use as, like, a guideline for my playing habits for the next 11 to 12 months. What uh, Final Fantasy game are you leaning toward out of curiosity? Uh, probably 4 because I okay. I got about halfway through 4. This is kind of a funny, stupid story. I was playing Final Fantasy 4 and I was doing this thing thing and I don't remember exactly how it worked but the way that game levels is you can kind of do a solo run because if you play with only the main character he gets all the experience or something like that so you can power level him but then the game later on gets like super hard so it was just a dumb thing that I tried to do which was stupid to do on my first playthrough because then I just hit a brick wall and stopped playing 
So anyway, long story short, I'd probably try to play Final Fantasy IV the traditional way and just play through it. Because I really liked it and I really liked um, the characters and the story to the point that I got to. All right. Possible playthrough? I don't know. That game's not super long. We might be able to swing it. Yeah, we can look into that for sure. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So what about you guys? Corey, did you make any resolutions gaming or otherwise? Yeah, I had a couple. Um, As I've gotten older, I realize that it's just better off if I set fewer resolutions because I feel like I used to set like 10 and not one of them would ever happen. But last year, one of the big ones was to, and I had already started reading books more often, but I wanted to read 30 books in uh, 2018. And Unfortunately, I just missed that mark at 28 books, and that was partly because I was reading a lot of big books and stuff that I wanted to read, and I noticed towards the end of the year, I was like just trying to pick up smaller books just to hit my goal, even if I didn't necessarily want to read that book. So for this year, I'm going to keep up the goal, but move it down to 25 and just try to read books that I want to read regardless if they're short or long, you know, because just finished The Fountainhead, definitely want to read Atlas Shrugged this year. Another uh, resolution for me that I've been working on is uh, from a more like fitness exercise standpoint, like I've always been a one day a week runner, like on the weekend, and I really wanted to start doing more of a two to three day a week workout. So during the week, I've been one day maybe doing some weights and some push-ups and then running again in the middle of the week if it's just on the treadmill at home, you know. Um, I love running outside, but usually on Wednesdays I'll run like three miles on the treadmill before work. And uh, another resolution from a video game standpoint is, I mean, it's funny just coming from what Sean was saying and trying to not spend money on video games. I don't necessarily like want to spend a ton of money on video games, but I want to have more video games to play like i've always been the type of person that's like i'm gonna buy a video game and then play it through instead of just like collecting video games and being like oh i have this to play so that's kind of one of my goals is to start playing more games and that's definitely been happening like i used to be a like i mentioned a one game at a time player but now i'm playing two to three games at a time so yeah that's kind of what i want to happen in 2019 Nice. Cool. What about you, Rich? Um, you know, my resolution for 2018 was to play more games. That was my big one. And my goal was basically play an additional game every month and beat it along with our playthrough. And that worked out fairly well for me. I think I either did it or I was maybe one or two games short, you know, of completing 24 games last year. So um, I'm going to set myself the same goal this year and, you know, just try to continue that because I have a large collection and I really want to just sit down and play games. It's been nice to have the playthrough to kind of force me to play games. I know that sounds odd, but when your life gets really busy, sometimes you have to force yourself to do things that you really enjoy and take some time for yourself. And so, um, I'm trying to take a little more for myself. And, um, I tell you the, uh, NES challenge that we're doing on the site has, uh, really helped out a ton. Can't wait to dig into more NES games. And, uh, you know, I've already started the, uh, year off very, very well. So we'll, uh, probably talk about that next, I guess. (laughs) But um, the other goal that I have is, uh, yeah, I'd like to drop some pounds. (laughs) I 
ended the year pretty well. I had dropped probably about 13, gained a little bit back during the holidays and, you know, probably lost seven since I started, but probably need to drop about 50 would be good for me because I'm not a real tall guy. So that's kind of the goal for me. It's a tough goal. It's a lot of weight for a year, I think, but I'm just going to be sensible, go on my walks a lot more. I'm not a runner. I have bad knees, so this is not something I really enjoy, but I'm going to go on my walks because I have that opportunity at work. They set aside time for us to do that and, uh, you know, just work on my portion control and eat better. My wife started cooking uh, a lot more vegetables and, you know, eating a lot more fruit. So uh, I'm going to work on that. And uh, as I'm talking about that, I want to give a shout out really quick to our good buddy, Kevin, Buried on Mars. I want to say this might have been around a month ago, but he had posted a photo of himself and he had lost a good bit of weight and gotten below 200 pounds. So I just want to give him a shout out for that. I think that's wonderful. And, uh, you know, I'm turning 42 tomorrow, and, uh, you know, it's something I have to really think about is uh, my health more than I did when I was younger because I was a lot more active. So, uh, yeah, that's my uh, goals for 2019. Nice. And speaking of Kevin, his stories, as always, on the Retro Fandango podcast, when he's talking about going to the gym and all the people hogging the machines, he can make the most mundane situation into a funny <laughs> story. So, that's, we all know that yeah. too, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what we love about that show. And uh, yeah, shout out to Kevin on his successes, and hope he can uh, continue what he's doing. And to you as well, Rich. Good luck with everything. Thanks. Take it, Rich. All of these are yours. Oh, are they? Okay, then. Yeah. Uh, so I'd mentioned a few times already on the show the 2019 NES Site Challenge, and I just wanted to give an update. But stupidly, I forgot to look 
at the number of games that have been completed so far, but I know about where it's at right now, so I can just use that as an estimate. I think there are 692 or 93 games on the NES that are licensed games that we had planned on beating in 2019. Our goal for January was to knock out at least 100 games. Well, we did that really quickly. Um, we have some amazing gamers on our site, and most recently someone's knocked out Dragon Warrior 4. You know, all the Dragon Warriors have been taken now. Oh. Uh, so, uh, well, one has been quietly taken. I'll just put that out oh, okay. there. Okay, all right. Yeah, so a uh, little, little sneakiness going on, which we'll talk about. All right, more to in, come At the end that. of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> more to come. But... Um, we finished 100 games, and so we raised the goal to 150, and I think we're over 130 games beaten on the NES right now, and it's the 27th of January, and so hopefully we can knock out a few more before months end and you know hit that 150 goal. Next month, the plan is to do another 100, hopefully, with a focus on sports titles, so people can like pick a sports game that they would like to beat. I'm hopefully going to snag a Super Tecmo Bowl, which was a big game for me when I was a kid. I knocked out Baseball Stars earlier this month, which was another favorite game of mine on the NES. It was a sports title. And then in January, what we said was we wanted everyone to beat a game that they never played. One title, at least. And so I'm actually working through Gremlins 2 right now, and I'm very, very close to the end of that. It is going to be a fantastic 2019, and I'm going to be knocking off several NES games and really getting into my collection, which, uh, as of course our listeners know, I have a complete set of licensed NES games, and uh, really, really looking forward to just, you know, digging into that and uh, having some fun with, with all the uh, the guys and girls that are competing in this challenge. And uh, it's been a wonderful forum that I think everyone should check out. Because there's a there's a lot of talk about all the games as well as people posting photos of the end screen for the games that they beat. So uh, yeah, it's a really neat thing, and I think everyone should check it out. And then the other thing that's going on that is site related is our RF Generation Fun Drive is coming up. It starts February the first and goes to the end of the month, February twenty eighth. Of course, I am headlining that as I have been for the past several years. We are doing a similar thing this year where every $10 that you donate gets you a ticket into our raffle. We've had some great prizes donated so far by myself, Bickman2K, uh, one of our other site directors, and our buddy Steven Disposed Hero has donated a very generous amount of stuff. And uh, just want to send a shout out to those guys for um, really showing a lot of love for the site and, and giving us some things to, to raffle off. The goal this year, again, is to raise $1,500 to take care of our server costs. And hopefully we can implement some other things on the site that we've been talking about for several years now. I did want to mention that we're still looking at getting an iOS app. We've gotten a quote for that, but you know that's one of the things that we're going to have to talk about as a staff and kind of come to an agreement on and decide you know, if this is what we want to spend site money on and if this is something that our members really want and want us to spend this money on. So, uh, you know, I know everyone's not an Apple user, but we already have an app for um, Android that people seem to really like a lot. So uh, I think that would bring a lot more attention to our site 
and just be a good thing for us in the future. So, you know, that's where the money goes to basically, but the primary focus as it has been in years past is just for server costs and to take care of that. So uh, if you can donate anything, it doesn't matter if it's 10 bucks or more to get uh, a ticket in the raffle, can just be a few bucks, just whatever you can do is greatly, greatly appreciated. And uh, there will be a post about that at the end of January. And then I'll be doing updates, of course, throughout the month of February for that. So, uh, and I think I mentioned, but uh, it's every $10 that you donate, each $10, you get an extra ticket to the raffle. So if you were to donate 80, you would get eight tickets. So that's how it kind of works out. But uh, yeah, should be a lot of fun and uh, looking forward to helping the site out in that capacity. Cool. And then the other bit of news, um, of course, anyone who listens to the show knows that Sean and I are a big fan of uh, limited run games. I just put in a pre-order copy for Celeste, which I'm really excited to put that in my pickups later on <laughs> this year in my show. But uh, they had mentioned that they were doing something in conjunction with Best Buy and they would be releasing three games at Best Buy. One of those was Ukulele, the other was Golf Story, and that most recently they've announced that third game, which was sort of the um, the surprise, and that is Super Meat Boy. Sean and Corey, is this a title that you guys have played, or is it something that you might be interested in? Uh, I have not played it, but I'm definitely interested in playing it. Yeah, this isn't my type of game, as you and our listeners could probably guess. I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not a, I'm not into ultra hard, uh, twitchy platformer type games. Get uh, good games, yeah. <laughs> Did you just say good games? <laughs> I said get good oh, games. Get good games. <laughs> I thought you were ripping me like, yeah, you don't like good games. <laughs> there are some games that I like. Um, like the trials games are like that, where you just try over and over again and bang your head against the, yeah. the wall, like just trying to beat one level. Like, I don't shy away from every single one of those types of games, but when it's a platformer like that, that's probably my least likely to be interested in. Yeah. Well, I mean, Rich, is this something that you would be into? You know, I've heard a lot about the game, and yeah, I think I would like to own a physical copy of it. You know, just because it has a very significant history as far as a game that, from what I understand, it was just, it was an indie title. I'm not sure it was like a, a phone game or anything like that, but, you know, it was a it was a big indie success yeah. and um, definitely looking forward to playing. I think Celeste is a lot like that. It's one of those where you, you try to get through levels and you die and then you instantly pop back up and you just keep retrying and retrying over and over again until you can complete the stage. I find some satisfaction in those type of games, and, you know, they're fun. So we'll see. Uh, I definitely probably will pick it up if they put it out on PS4. I'm not sure. I know most of the games that they've been announcing are for Switch, so this might just be a Switch-only title. I just haven't looked into it that much. But, uh, yeah, if they put it out on PS4, I'll definitely probably grab a copy. And, you know, at some point I'm going to grab Golf Story because I've heard so many good things about that, even though it's only on Switch, because I'm sure at some point we're going to have a Switch. It's just going to make its way into our house. It's inevitable, you know. Right. <laughs> All right. Should we roll into pickups? Sure. Well, Rich, how do you feel about going first? Because Corey actually has a really good one. I know I have a really good one. Okay. How are you looking this month? <laughs> I've got a lot, but yeah, I can go first. That's fine. All right. Go for it. Cool. I think we haven't spoken about pickups since Christmas. So some of these pickups I did get around Christmas time. I finished off. I say finished off, but 
my uh, GameCube collecting, I, I'm not a completionist as far as the GameCube. It's not a system that I played a lot growing up. I don't have a whole lot of love for. But I picked up a copy of Eternal Darkness. My wife got me that for uh, Christmas this year. She also grabbed me a copy of the Genesis, a complete copy of Shining in the Darkness, and a copy of the shooter for the TurboGrafx Sinistron. So those were my um, Christmas gifts. Along with, she got me a thick book, and I can't remember what it's called. did not write it down. I think it's like the Encyclopedia of Arcade Games. I've recently been picking up, you know, several arcade games. And uh, she got me a book that has like a lot of pictures of stuff in it. And it's just a really great stroll down memory lane of remembering what the cabs looked like that I used to play when I was younger, when I would go into the arcades. And so that was a really cool gift. I've thumbed through that book several times. Let's see. I picked up a copy of Pieces for the Super Nintendo. I got a copy of... Prinny 2 and Wario Land 2. Those came from my site, Secret Santa, this year. Corey, if you're not familiar with it, we do a Secret Santa every December. And it's a minimum of spending $20 on someone. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, just something active that our site does. I don't know who my Secret Santa was this year, but uh, really two cool games that I was looking for. And one of the last two titles that I was looking for for my PSP. However, um, after getting Printy 2, I was like, man, I got to go get Printy 1, and I knew my <laughs> store had it. So I was like, I got to finish up this PSP set that I'm you know, putting together. Again, I'm not working on a full set, but just games that I'm interested in. So I did pick up a copy of Printy also at my local store. I got an amazing deal on my kind of honey hole on a copy of War of the Gems, which is a Marvel game. Uh, it's a beat-em-up on the Super Nintendo my wife picked up a copy of Battle Bull for me for the Game Boy. And then I also picked up a copy of Sonic Blast Man 2 at a heck of a price at the used media store once again. And this is a really cool beat-em-up series on the Super Nintendo. I typically collect beat-em-ups and shmups anytime I can get my hands on those. And then for $0.98... Cents, Sean, I don't know if you've played this game or not, but I think it might be of interest to you. I picked up a copy of Vampire Hunter D on the PlayStation. Is that one you've played before? Uh, maybe a little bit. I know about it. It's a third-person yeah. action-y type game, I believe, right? I know of it. I don't know too much about it, though. Yeah, I knew you were in the anime, so I didn't know if it was a title that you had been looking for or had played before in the past. I think if there were any OVAs or films of it, I've seen them, but uh, mm -hmm. not the series. So that's that's not one I'm like super familiar with. All right. And then some other pickups I had this month, again, at the same store I continue to go to, someone had dropped their DS collection, like an incredible DS collection. I got a copy of Monster Tale, which Sean, you and I had mentioned maybe playing one month for the show. It was actually the game that we had to decide between playing it or Lunar Nights, right? Yeah, that was our runner-up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I ended up picking that up for like six bucks complete, just a nice minty copy, and that goes for a considerable amount more than that. I also grabbed Alien Resurrection and Front Mission and Professor Layton and The Last Spectre, which was the last Layton game that I needed for the DS. So I really knocked a huge dent in my DS collection. You said Alien Resurrection. Do you mean Alien... What was it called? It was Alien Infestation. Is that what you mean? Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Resurrection was the movie. Okay. 
And then one of my coolest grabs for the month that I'm really happy about is uh, if you come to our site and you know look at our front page, oftentimes I will promote something from our blog from a guy named Retro Nonsense. His name's Duke. Um, he has some fabulous videos. He's doing a series about the '80s and uh, you know all the toys and stuff that he used to come across when he was in the 80s. It's a fun show, and if you haven't seen it yet, uh, go to his YouTube page, Retro Nonsense. Anyway, he and uh, Chris Roberts, who was from the NARC podcast that lives out in California, the three of us have really been into picking up Atari 2600 games. Chris Roberts and I are picking up a lot of variants, and then Duke has sort of rekindled his love for that system as a kid, so we're kind of all sending each other stuff and helping each other out. And it's been a lot of fun. Really, it's my favorite part of the hobby is being able to find something for someone else, you know, and help them out and, you know, vice versa, you know, because the, the karma is unreal. And speaking of karma, Duke sent me a package the other day and uh, I've been working on this um, subset for Sears Telegames. And uh, he sent me a copy of Capture, Othello, Backgammon, Brain Games, and Maze, which are all in fantastic condition. And I uh, just wanted to send Duke a shout out and say thank you so much. That's a wonderful, wonderful gift. And then the final thing I picked up was I, I grabbed another arcade cabinet. I had it actually shipped in from Arizona. And uh, I told you a few months ago that... Um, I really like going to this arcade called Wieners and Losers that's uh, local to me. And the guy had a cabinet called Spiders. And it's a game that probably 15 to 20 are maybe known to exist. And he had it, and I just really fell in love with the game. I really loved the gameplay on it. And uh, I told myself, well, this is kind of a grail item. I'll keep my eyes open if something pops up. It's rare, but it's not an expensive game, arcade-wise. Uh, for whatever reason, people just don't really care for it as much as, you know, I do and, and others. But um, my neighbor was like, man, that's like a needle in a haystack. You're never going to find that. Two weeks later, my other neighbor is heading out to Phoenix on business, looks at the local Craigslist, finds one for an amazing price, and is like, hey, if you contact this guy, I'll go look at it for you because I'm going to be in Phoenix anyway on business. So he goes, he looks at it, pays the guy, I get it shipped to my house, and it is now here in my garage, and I am totally enamored with this game, and that mm -hmm. is my big pickup for the month. It's a really cool title. It's a shooter, and if you've never seen it, I would say check out a YouTube video of it. It's a really, really neat game. It's called Spider, you said? Spiders. Spiders. Yeah. All right. I'm going to look yeah, it up. Yeah, check it out. Okay. Well... I might be able to play it with one of my pickups, but I'll get to that. First, I want to talk about uh, some stuff I got for the VR. And as I mentioned in my New Year's resolutions, I did let slip some money on VR stuff when I got the package from Steven because, yeah, he sent me a ton of games. But then, of course, you got to buy more games and you got to get the games that you exactly want. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, I bought... A game called Moss, which is this cool like platformer puzzle game where you're running around as a cute little mouse solving puzzles and stuff. Sort of like Redwall, that book series. You know, that's what it reminds me of. Uh, I'm not familiar, but it is set up like a storybook, and the whole presentation is narrated like somebody is reading a story. And I'll talk about this more in What Are You Playing? Because I do have some pros and cons and joys and frustrations, and I want to explain those uh, in that segment. I got Astro Bot Rescue Mission, which is 
on many people's Games of the Year 2018 list, and I can see why, because it's a great platformer, and there's one level that you can play in the PlayStation VR Playroom, which is a kind of a game that downloads automatically as soon as you set up your headset, and then there's a fully fleshed game out of one of the levels that's Astrobot Rescue Mission. And it's considered a, a must-have if you have VR. So I also got Zone of the Enders Mars, which is a remake of one of the Zone of the Enders games. I can't remember if it's the first or the second one, but it is VR enabled. And I don't even know if it's VR enabled for the whole game or if it's just a couple of missions. All I know is that when I was looking for VR games... They're not cheap. It's kind of like Switch games. Like, there's no cheap Switch games, and there's similarly very cheap PlayStation VR games, at least if you want a physical copy. But Zone of the Enders Mars was something along the lines of 15 bucks on Amazon, so I picked that up. And then I got a nice pair of Turtle Beach headphones that are designed for VR headsets. So they're very comfortable. They fit around the headband of the VR headset, and they just sit nicely on your head. You can hardly feel them. They sound great. And man, that was an upgrade from my crusty old earbuds that I was using. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the sound is a really big part of the immersion when you play VR. You got to get it at least kind of right to be able to enjoy the games to the fullest. So... Grab the pair of Turtle Beach headphones for that. And my last pickup, this is another thing that sometimes when we talk about it, I'm afraid that it's going to raise the ire of our listeners, but it never does because, you know, most people are kind of in this gray world of modding and hacking and emulators and all that kind of other stuff. And it it never causes controversy in the way I think it's going to. So I'm just going to talk freely about it. I got something I've been wanting to get for a long time, which is my third PlayStation 3 console, but this one is jailbroken. You can throw emulators on it. It plays PS1 ISOs, PS2 ISOs, PS3 ISOs. So much like my hacked Wii, my soft modded PS2, it's just another like all-in-one system that is bringing me more into having things be more digital and making me think mentally that I don't have to rely on having this bloated collection of physical games when I have these machines that I would prefer playing my games on rather than, say, original hardware or tube TV or whatever. So the jailbroken PS3, as I spent time with it, trying to get it the way I want it, and that's the other thing too, I'm an amateur at this as far as being a hacker, you know, like I wouldn't even say I'm intermediate at it. So when I did my Wii, it took me a month. I was spending entire weekends just getting it exactly right, trying this emulator. It doesn't work. Trying a different one, trying this, trying that. And then every once in a while, you'll do something where you think you ruin the thing and you're, oh, my God, I bricked it. You know, like just messing with this PS3 has been so much fun. So many trials and tribulations, so many clench moments where I thought I had ruined something, you know, like, 
But right now it's set up just, it's such a beautiful machine and I got a really, really good deal on it. I took a chance on one of those eBay auctions where the person has like one crappy picture. They don't have great feedback, but they're putting up at a price where you're like, uh, this is too good to be true, but may PayPal protect me if I don't get this. <laughs> uh, so I went for it. I got it. And uh, it's just a glorious, glorious machine, man. I freaking love it. So that's how I've been spending most of my time. And I, you know, again, next segment, what are you playing? I'll explain what I've done with that and uh, a couple of things that I'm playing. So I'm going to kick it over to Corey. Corey has something... <laughs> Corey is going to, I don't want to steal your thunder, man, but you're going to say something that is going to blow our listeners' minds, but you can go. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just a lot of hype, man. (laughs) Yeah, take it away, man. Yeah, so I got four things that I've picked up that I want to talk about, and as Sean just mentioned, I'll save the best for last. I don't even think I've told Sean this yet. I mean, cause, you know, we work together every day. I usually let him know when I picked up a new game or something. But a couple of days ago, I was, uh, shopping and a lot of our coworkers are playing and they just keep talking about Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, cool. So I just picked it up for the PS4 a couple of days ago. I haven't played it or anything, but I think I will fairly soon. I've always been pretty intrigued by games that are kind of you know, Western frontier, like, and, uh, I've always been kind of intrigued by that kind of stuff. So I think it'll be yeah, something me too. <laughs> I'll, I'll enjoy and just all the talk at work has got me kind of pumped up to play it and buy it. So I just saw the opportunity and I got it pretty cheap a couple of days ago. Uh, the other thing I picked up for very cheap, uh, Resident Evil 7, and I don't have a VR. So I was like, well, you know, I like horror games. I'll play this, uh, you know, just on my PS4. Um, but the cool thing is, is Sean recently invited me over a couple weekends ago when he got his VR because I hadn't got to experience one yet and came over and I tested out Resident Evil 7 on there, a couple other games, and I loved it. So I was like, I'll get Resident Evil 7 and play it with hopes of getting a VR one day, you know, to play it on. One of uh, my other big pickups is I got a, a Nintendo DS like multi-game um, 482 and one game cartridge that uh, I ordered off eBay and you know I kept a lot of uh, the good titles on that are, were already on the game like you know the Mario titles the Sonic titles um, but Sean helped me uh, get games on there and mod it the way I want it and that's you know what I got to put Lunar Nights on to play and uh, that uh, pickup's been awesome like I've been playing my 3ds more than i have in for like years so all right uh the big pickup now here that uh i'm excited to talk about i'm actually getting this tomorrow and i cannot wait so i think it was last weekend i told sean i was like i you know i want to get a vr man like uh can you help me out here so he introduced me to uh steven aka disposed hero and uh Steven emailed me pretty much like a couple hours later after Sean sent him an email and I am uh, officially tomorrow going to be the owner of the a PlayStation VR uh, Borderlands 2 and Beat Saber bundle. So I'm so excited to get that tomorrow. <laughs> More than antsy. <laughs> now, Rich, can you believe this? 
Steven bestowed upon me a PlayStation VR, and he posts on his trade thread, yeah, I got a PSVR bundle, like, afterwards, and I was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like, (laughs) are you manufacturing these in your house? Like, what is going on? And he was like, oh, no, I got it on this crazy deal, and he showed me... Our listeners might know QVC did this deal, and I don't even know if it was a price error back at the time. It was kind of a big deal that they were selling this bundle for a ridiculous price. I won't even say what it was, but um, it was like pennies on the dollar to what it should have been. And uh, he was able to score one, so he had this second VR rig sitting around, so... Yeah, I was able to hook him up with Corey, and man, I'm excited for Corey. I'm excited for, you know, for Steven. What an amazing uh, turn of events, and uh, man, I can't wait to uh, talk more VR with you, Corey, and hopefully we can find some multiplayer games that we can play together, and uh, it's just going to be awesome, and I'm so happy for you. VR has been such a game changer for me. Literally, you know, it's a that's no pun intended. I'm so excited for you, and I it's so freaking cool that we were able to do it via Disposed Hero, who's like the Santa Claus of this podcast. Basically, I feel like he gets called out on almost every one of y'all's episodes because I, you know, I've been listening to this podcast for you know about a year now, and uh, yep, when Sean brought him up, I was like, oh, I think I know who that is. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm already like, just, all right, what games am I going to get? Like, as soon as it comes in, like, I know that I'm going to pick up Resident Evil 7 once it comes in on VR and finish it that way. But yeah, I'm excited. Nice. Cool. And if you guys are looking for any VR games specifically, let me know because uh, that place I go to, that little honey hole that I have, I've seen them drop tremendously in price. And I, I think I might be able to score a few good deals. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, send me some pictures. Yeah, keep me posted what you're looking for. And, uh, well, I mean, if you guys could just send me like a list of, you know, things that you're looking for, probably be the best way to do it because, uh, you know, they've, they've got a lot of stuff. Okay. And, uh, it'd be tough for me to just to go through it and determine what's VR and what's not. So, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Let's move it on into what are you playing? <laughs> 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 All right. What's that about? Oh man, uh, I've blown it out this month, man. All right, well, it's pretty insane. You want to go last, then? My, I have a more sure. than usual, but not that much. Let's let's kick it to Corey to go first as the guest. So, Corey, what have you been playing? So, kind of spoiled it in the last segment, but I have been playing Resident Evil Seven. I'm maybe three or four hours in the game, but as soon as I found out I was purchasing a VR from Disposed Hero, I stopped so I could finish that. Once my VR came in. Um, One thing that I'm always playing that I play maybe once a week is I'm a huge baseball fan. So I've been playing MLB The Show for months and months, just like playing, you know, a season with the Astros, which is my team. So that's just something I'm always kind of playing on and off. And I mentioned my new uh, NDS multi-game card on that. I've been playing Mario and Luigi Partners in Time game I've never played before, just kind of browsing the games on there. I saw it and I was like, oh, this looks kind of you know, cute. It looks a little more like uh, anime for like Mario and Luigi like graphics. And it's it's a pretty fun game. Um, the other game I'm playing right now is more nostalgia for me. I in no way, shape or form really follow uh, professional wrestling anymore. But I loved wrestling as a kid. And uh, I used to love playing wrestling games. 
I'm playing a WWE SmackDown versus Raw 2010, doing like a campaign with a character I created and uh, having so much fun with that. I, I got to admit, I don't know a ton of the wrestlers on this game anymore. Like back when I was into wrestling, it was like The Rock and like uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, you know, there's still a couple uh, wrestlers on this game that I'm familiar with, like Triple H and... Uh, you know, some of the more famous, like The Undertaker, who is actually from Austin and lives here in Austin. I've seen him before. Oh, wow. Out in public. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I'm at the stock <laughs> <laughs> Um But yeah, that's all I'm playing. Either of you guys uh, into wrestling games at all? Uh, you know, the games are known to be good. What system is that SmackDown versus? That's a DS game? It is a DS oh, okay. game, yeah. Now, do you know, is that a remake of one of the 64 games? Not that I remember. Oh, I did okay, have a okay. couple wrestling games on my 64, but I it wasn't that, I don't think. Yeah, I was definitely into wrestling when I was a little kid, but then yeah, it, it wasn't here. really part of my life growing up except it's funny that you mentioned the undertaker lives in austin because when we were growing up doink the clown lived <laughs> down oh. the street from us can you believe that That's crazy. <laughs> how about dink did yeah, he live no, near you as dink, well you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> i have a doink the clown action figure in my cubicle at work i have all these weird toys in my That's cubicle awesome. and uh yeah definitely have a doink <laughs> <laughs> very cool well, uh, if, sorry I, no, there's one on. other game that i've been playing off and on and this is uh i think uh you wouldn't be surprised rich when i told you this is a uh, sean gray recommended game that I, <laughs> I i gotta admit i didn't i haven't been playing it the last couple months but i started playing it again the other day as metal gear solid five oh yeah, yeah. i've heard mgs5 yes yeah cool yeah cool. yeah i started playing that again which I think will be a game that I'm going to be playing for a long time, you know? Oh, yeah. Our listeners know that's a game that I've been playing for a long time. Uh, <laughs> you know, for over two years, I've been playing that game, still playing it. Although now, with this new PS3, what I did was take my main PS3, which has Middle Gear Solid 5 on it, and just unhooked it and hooked in the new PS3. So... My MGS5 time is is on a bit of a break, but I will never stop playing that game. I will always want to play that game in the same way that I will always play the original Metal Gear Solid and the original Metal Gear Solid VR missions in 2 and 3 and 4. So, yeah, that's pretty awesome that you got back into it. Um, yeah, personally, I think I just needed a break from it, but I picked it up a couple of days ago and I'm like, all right, I think I'm ready to start playing this again. So, awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Oh, geez, man. We already <laughs> had to listen to Sean talk about Jean Dark for like the last four months. Uh, and now we're bringing up Metal Gear Solid 5 again. Well, uh, guess what? It, can't get guess away. Guess what the first thing on my <laughs> list is? Because. You know what? I tweeted it, but I got to say on the show that I finally finished John Dark and I just got to put in the final word for that game. It is awesome. I loved it. I almost started playing it again. Like I want to play more. I grinded out some of the characters to the level cap, which was level 99. I don't do that like ever. Such a good game. But as you mentioned, our listeners have heard enough of it. I think I've said my piece. <laughs> Jean d'Arc on the PSP. Great game. Moving along. Um, I heard about, and I got to shout out Norm, the gaming historian. He did a video recently on Super Mario Land, the series on the Game Boy, Mario Land 1, 2, and 3. 
And I'll tell you, Mario Land 1 and Mario Land 2 especially are two of my favorite games of all time from when I was a kid and games that I still love playing. I discovered via his video that there's a ROM hack called Super Mario Land 2 DX, which is, as you might guess, kind of a colorized, because think like Legend of Zelda DX. It was the hybrid Game Boy Color version that was fully colorized. So some glorious person in the community did a ROM hack called Super Mario Land 2 DX. It is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. The colorization is just brilliantly, perfectly done. It's such a treat on the eyes. And it's such an awesome way to have life breathed into one of my favorite games of all time. And I've been replaying that. Rich, I don't know if you're a fan of this series. I would love to hear about it. But I am almost certain that I will insist that we play Super Mario Land 2 this year as a playthrough. What do you think? I love Super Mario games. And uh, I would definitely be down for that. So, yeah. Awesome. And as I've said before, I'm playing a ton of VR. This VR thing, man, it's kind of crazy. Well, here's the point in the show where I plug my latest article. I wrote a in-progress review of Skyrim VR. Not really a review, just my impressions, something I called I've been playing Skyrim VR, so think of it that way. As I mentioned in the article, this game just answered my question and my trepidation about getting VR, which is... Am I going to be able to sit in a chair with this helmet on my head, totally oblivious to the world, for more than 10 minutes without getting bored or scared or nauseous or dizzy or whatever? And is this a sustainable gaming habit? So Skyrim VR answered that question crystal clear that I can play this game as much as I could sit in front of any old game on a flat TV and it is awesome and not for nothing but it's the most stable version of skyrim i've ever played (laughs) it's not super glitchy it's uh very smooth Corey, this is one of the games you tried when you were at my house you were pretty impressed and uh i just really like it but i realized i was kind of not getting stuck in a rut but i found myself kind of rushing through the game because i realized I got all these games, you know, I got this VR, Steven sent me 12 or so games with it. I bought like three or four more. And here I am playing Skyrim, you know, like, come on, I got to experience all these other things, you know, so I actually found a good stopping point in Skyrim and took a deliberate dedicated break. And I'm going to chill on that game. So I started playing Moss, which I mentioned as one of my pickups. Uh, I started that last night. Now, Rich, you know, and our listeners know that environmental puzzles are the bane of my existence. That's the, <laughs> they're the reason I don't like Zelda games for the most part. So I was very surprised when I played the demo for Moss, which is a game that's based on environmental puzzles. And I thought it was one of the coolest things I've ever played. And I think it's because of the immersion and the control scheme and the nature of VR that allows you to Physically look around the puzzles as you're moving them and moving your character through them that makes it more conducive to my brain and my mind and the way I play games. So Moss is a game where you go kind of room to room and each room is like this little diorama with puzzles and there's sometimes enemies and there's some combat 
and it's set up like a fairy tale storybook. That's the presentation of the game. You actually start in first person in like this massive library with a storybook being read to you. And it's very quaint and pleasant. You play as yourself, but you're also controlling this mouse who runs around uh, standing on switches and flicking levers and fighting enemies. And you can do certain things with the controller to help her at the same time. And it can get very challenging. I'll tell you, the, the game was pretty easy for like the first hour and a half. And I was at a room this morning that had me uh, almost chucking my controller. <laughs> but no, I was really, we talked about rage quitting last uh, last month and our worst rage moments. And I had to reflect on those for uh, a couple minutes this morning and take some deep breaths and just relax my hands. And uh, I was cussing for sure, but my wife was uh, on the treadmill, so I don't think she heard me. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say, don't upset the wife again. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I am actually really enjoying this game. The one thing that's kind of surprising to me, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is that some of the parts are more combat heavy than I would have liked because as I found myself really enjoying the puzzles, I was kind of perturbed that some of the later rooms are more combat heavy. And that's not the part of the game that I was really enjoying. However, as far as I'm concerned, this game gets a high recommendation because uh, it's really good. It looks great. The one thing I will say, I know I'm kind of rambling about it, and I'll move on to my next and last game in a second. This game had a weird technical thing, and VR owners need to know this. Corey, listen carefully. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Most VR games, when you're out of the field of the camera... You'll get a loading screen, you'll get a warning screen, you'll get a little icon that is telling you to recenter the screen. Mm-hmm. In this game, for whatever reason, the screen just goes black. And as it turns out, when I first loaded the game, I wasn't in the field of vision, even though I've been playing this way for weeks, sitting in that little chair in front of my coffee table. And when I booted the game, the screen was black and I couldn't do anything. And so I'm like, what the hell's going on? And I know the game was loaded because I could hear sounds. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what is going on? And I'm get freaking out. I'm Googling and I'm reading these articles like, <laughs> oh, PlayStation 4 doesn't come with the right HDMI cable. You got to mm-hmm. buy a new one. And I'm like, no, like that can't be it. So finally, I went to the developer's website and they had like a troubleshooting section. And it's like, if you have a black screen, you're out of the field of view. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, you couldn't just give the icon that every other game (laughs) gives when you're out of the field of view. So, yeah. If you want to play Moss and the screen is black, just make sure you're in the camera view. That was infuriating to me. So, anyway. Good game, though. (laughs) And and uh, I think I'm about halfway through, hoping to finish it slowly but surely. And finally. So, this is something very special to me. I tweeted it out. I was being a little hyperbolic, but I tweeted that when I was... You? Hyperbolic? (laughs) (laughs) So actually, I'll back up. Last month, I said my favorite game that we played outside the playthrough was Nier Automata, which I will reiterate is an amazing game. And I've spoken in the past that the original Nier is one of my favorite games of all time. But to give you a little bit of background... The original Nier is a game that I played at the strong recommendation of my late, dearly departed friend, Jesse, who said, you got to play Nier. It's just an amazing game. So I played it. 
However, I only played to the first ending. And so for people who know Nier Automata and the original Nier, this is a game you have to play through it four or five times and get multiple different endings to get the true ending. And to me, the first time I played Nier, I thought, that sounds like a nonsense pain in the ass and I'm not doing it. Like the first set of credits that rolled, I was done with the game, despite the strong urges from Jesse saying, you're not getting the full experience. You have to continue and get all the way to the actual ending of the game. And I was like, nah, like that game was fun, but I'm moving on. Having played Nier Automata and the experience I had completing that game, getting all the endings and the amazing like meta game and the fourth wall break and everything that happens in that game, I was like, holy shit, I have to go back and play the original Nier. So... For those who don't know, the original Nier in the United States was released on the 360 MPS3 as just Nier, and you play as an older gentleman as your player character. What some people may not know is that Nier in Japan was released in two different versions. The version that we played with the older gentleman was released on the 360, and it was called Nier Gestalt. There's another version that we didn't see in the West called Near Replicant for the PS3. And in that game, you play as a young man as opposed to an older man. Totally different character. Not, well, as far as I know, not just a younger version of the same character. I don't know that for sure, but it seems like a completely different character. So I found in my travels, and it wasn't easy to find, by the way, an English patched translated version of Near Replicant for the PS3. And when I got it running on my new jailbroken PS3, I was so elated and joyful that I would be able to play this game again and devote my time to giving it its due and to honor the wishes of my dearly departed friend who recommended the game in the first place. I started playing it the near replicant version of near with the other character. So not only am I just replaying the game and giving it its due, but I'm playing it this unique version that not many people are going to have the opportunity to play. It is such, such a cool game. So awesome. It's an action RPG, a hack and slash RPG where you run around doing main quests, side quests. It's linear in a sense that you know where to go at all times, but you can explore, you could do side quests. It's one of the few games where the side quests that you do give you very tangible results in your gameplay. For example, you can plant a garden at your house in this game, but you can't unlock that until you do a certain side mission where you get seeds for a person who's looking for them and then she teaches you how to do your garden kind of thing so it's it's stuff like that where it might be a fetch quest so to speak but the rewards for them are very tangible and they're like very useful upgrades in the world of the game the music is incredible the graphics are pretty great for that generation and the boss battles are out of this world now rich i can't recommend this game enough but i'm going to tell you if you play it you'll probably play the 360 version which is in english and i want you to know you cannot play this game with your kids because there's a <laughs> there's a character named Kaine, and at first her only distinguishing characteristic 
besides her revealing clothing, is that she's the most foul-mouthed character. She's one of the most foul-mouthed characters in the history of video games. And it's hilarious, and it's funny as hell, but it's not for children. So just keep that in mind. You do realize my kids live with yeah. me, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but actually, that's one of the cool things about this game is that it's worth, like, I'm playing it now. Obviously, it's dubbed in Japanese. They didn't change the voice track, only the text for this uh, fan translation. So it's cool to hear the original Japanese dub as well. This is one of the few games where I would say that playing it with the English voice is as valuable as playing it with the Japanese voice. But yeah, this is just one of those things like I'm so grateful to have gotten access to this game through some internet sleuthing and some amateur hacking that I'm just really going to take my time and just enjoy every second of it and just savor, savor the game. It's so awesome. Yeah, that's it for me. I know that was a lot and I know you got a lot. So let's roll into it. <laughs> All right. Uh, wow. Uh, what are you playing? As I mentioned before, we're doing the 2019 NES Sites Challenge show. The majority of everything I played, well, actually everything that I played besides our monthly playthrough of Lunar Nights is an NES game. I've played 19 games this month, wow. <laughs> and I've beaten 17 of them. Nice. Um, and I'm going to talk about them all in length. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm just going to kind of skim what I've played. It's interesting when you start this NES challenge, I feel like Kelsey wanted everyone to pick a game that they'd never played before, but I think your tendency is to go to your old favorites, you know, and beat those, the ones you haven't played oh, yeah. in a long time, and that's what I really did. What we are doing is you can request one game as a game that no one else will play, and as soon as you beat that, you can request another. You can only do one at a time, which I think is a, is a really nice trade-off and very fair. So the first game I requested was Baseball Stars. I love Baseball Stars. I think it's one of the best baseball games ever made, hands down. It's just a lot of fun. You can power up your players and your hitters, and uh, you can name all your players. You can name them after your friends and, and that sort of thing. So uh, that was the first game I knocked off. Another big favorite of mine is the shoot 'em up Gunsmoke. If you like the Western theme, Gunsmoke, it is an arcade port. I'm not sure how close it is to the arcade because I haven't played the arcade before, but it's a really, really fun game on the NES. And of course, you know that I had to knock off Contra because that game is near and dear to my heart. No, I did not use the 30-man code. I did not manage to do a no-death run, but uh, you know I was able to finish the game with the three lives that are given to you at the beginning of the game. I beat 10-Yard Fight, Kung Fu, Golf, Urban Champion, Volleyball, Pinball, and the reason I beat those was because I wanted to start knocking out some of the original Black Box games. That's been really fun, and I'm hoping to knock off a few more of those in February. I also beat Super Dodgeball, Wizards and Warriors... Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, I got a decision with Tyson and beat him. And two games that I also beat this month that I'm really big fan of, Rygar is one of those. I love that game. It's so much fun. It's not an exact port of the arcade game, but it is such a good game on the Nintendo. I've been kind of pushing Sean year after year to play Rygar or uh, Wizards and Warriors 1 and 2. And so, you know, hope to do that maybe in the near future and show what great games those are. And then I also beat Kickle Cubicle, 
which is a puzzle game. Sean, I can already tell you're probably not going to like it, but it's really no, cute. No, I know that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's a that's a cool game. I like that game. Yeah, yeah. Krabby and I kind of talked on the forums. He's a bigger fan of the Lolo games, but uh, I think Kickle Cubicle is one of these really great games, dare I say, hidden gem on the NES that not a lot of people play or know about. It's fantastic. It has great artwork. It has puzzles, but it also has these little kind of cutesy boss battles as well, and it's a lot of fun. And then today, right before our call, I beat Jeopardy Jr. So, uh, yeah, those are the games Excellent. that I have knocked off. I've knocked off 17 games so far in January. And, uh, you know, of the 130 plus that our group has taken out. So, uh, yeah, really happy about that. Can I just tell you, Super Dodgeball is probably in my top five NES games of all time. I love that uh, game. Me too, man. I, I love it. I feel like I could play it for hours. And it's one of those games you could pick up at any time and play a quick match. And yep. like those power slams are just so satisfying. And the whole <laughs> cartoony aspect of it. Oh, man. What a great game. My favorite is when you knock someone from one side of the screen like yeah. around the world to the next and especially yeah. if you're playing in Iceland because they slide on the ice you know it seems yeah. like forever <laughs> it's so much fun yeah that is a great game I totally agree with that Sean and then the other two games that I'm working on right now Renegade is the one I have chosen to um, to set aside right now and claim and uh, that's when I played a lot as a kid, was never able to beat it. I'm at the last stage. I'm a few rooms from the final boss, but I'm struggling, but I'm going to push through. And then uh, I've just been playing Gremlins 2 on the side, and I'm at the next to last boss, which is, I think, stage 4-2, and it's considered probably the hardest stage in the game. And I've had some pretty decent runs, and I made it to the boss, but uh, you know, just have not been able to get past that fourth stage yet, which, like I said, has been said to be the most challenging stages, 4-1 and 4-2. So uh, looking forward to beating those and knocking those off the list soon and uh, you know, knocking off a lot more games in February.
All right, so as usual, we start our game of the month conversation with a question of the month. The question this month is, what is your favorite handheld console and why? This is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I love handheld gaming. So let's go to the community for the couple of responses that we got. Our very own Crabmaster2000 wrote a, uh, what would you call that, a master's thesis on the (laughs) forum? (laughs) At least a novella. (laughs) Uh, so here's the condensed version and rich i appreciate you uh putting a little bit of editing touch on this but i think the sentiment is loud and clear here so from crabmaster 2000 this took a lot of deliberation but i've decided that my favorite handheld system is the new 3ds xl if you know me i'm not a hardware guy i'm all about software For someone like myself who is very much into Japanese games with a soft spot for both RPG and retro style games, it just does a lot right for me. It's got maybe the best offering of JRPGs of any system with series like Dragon Warrior, Fire Emblem, Shin Megami Tensei, Etrian Odyssey, Pokemon, Xenoblade, Kingdom Hearts, and the Mario and Luigi games all very well represented. And that's not even mentioning games that only have one fantastic entry on the system. I get my retro fix with great titles from series like Mario, Zelda, Kirby, Mario Kart, Donkey Kong, Yoshi, Resident Evil, and Metroid. Puzzle games? You bet. Rhythm games? Yeah, it can. Quirky experimental stuff? For sure. It really has games that hit all of my sweet spots, and it's got the amazing hardware to back it up. Ooh, Krabby, what an answer. <laughs> <laughs> and just to mention, like, this was on our forums for our game of the month. Krabby had mentioned that he doesn't do social media a lot, so he'd like us to post our questions there. But, uh, you know, the good thing about social media is it does have a character limit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we appreciate your answers, but again, like this one, we may have to condense them down a little bit for the sake of the show. So I hope we did you justice in your answer, Kelsey. Yes. And speaking of social media, we did have one Twitter response from our very good friend, the Pocky X, who is one of my favorite Twitter followers. He and I have a lot in common as far as all the Japanese stuff that we're into. So I love tweeting at him and getting recommendations and uh, music and movies. And he's the one who told us about the War of the Worlds thing. And yeah, yeah, we love the Pocky X. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at the Pocky X. So his answer... PSP, obviously. Where else can you play through some brilliantly well-scaled portable versions of big properties, loads of great download-only titles, PS1 classics, and also watch The Grudge 1 and 2 on UMD? (laughs) That's a great answer. (laughs) That is a great answer. So, Corey, what is your favorite handheld console and why? Okay, so before I reveal my answer, I think my first love ever in the video game world was a handheld console, and that's why I love this question. The first ever console I got was a Game Boy back in the 80s, Um, so I love handheld consoles. With that being said, I'm going to agree with Crabmaster2000 that the new 3DS XL is my favorite handheld console, and... uh, I won't go off on a tangent as long as Crabmaster, but it's just because (laughs) 
it has a great catalog backed by Nintendo exclusives. I'm able to play some of my favorite games from my younger years, like Zelda, The Ocarina of Time, Mario Kart, Super Mario 64, and Star Fox 64. So, you know, along with these games that I used to play growing up, there's just so many great games that are still coming out on the 3DS XL. So just fantastic console that I love dearly. Awesome. Rich, what about you? Yeah, I have to echo Corey's sentiments uh, regarding the Game Boy. Now, this wasn't a system I own. My younger brother owned it. But I have a great love for the Game Boy system, and it's one that I collect games for now. Not complete set, but, you know, just going for titles that seem enjoyable to play. And I've really found a love for that system. But surprisingly, probably to most, it's not the one I picked. I actually picked a modern system. And the other kind of surprising thing about the system that I picked, I don't download titles. And so I'm kind of looking at what library that I enjoy the most and what I've enjoyed playing most. And that handheld is the Vita. I love my Vita. I get so much enjoyment out of it. I'm so glad Sean kind of talked me into purchasing one. And I know it's a system that does not get a lot of love at all. You know, with handhelds, Nintendo has always held so strong because there's so many games that are geared toward kids. A lot of people grew up on that system, whereas the Vita and PlayStation consoles altogether have more adult games. Um, I love the look of the Vita, the feel of the Vita. I just love everything about it. I, I like the game selections. People say there's no games for it, and I'm speaking from someone who doesn't download games. There are a lot of great physical games for this system, and I just don't understand that argument at all. Something that I didn't mention in my pickups this month, my parents came up yesterday and uh, gave me a birthday present. Lo and behold, I got a 64 gigabyte memory card for my Vita for my birthday. Uh. Uh, that's one of those things that, like, it's expensive enough where it's not something I want to buy for myself, you know what I mean? And oh, so yeah. I had it on my Amazon wish list, and my parents just grabbed it off of there, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great so i'm so thrilled to have that for my vita now that is awesome what a good answer i'm glad you said the vita to give it some love because that's not my answer but oh i'm it, surprised about that yeah. i thought it probably was going to be <laughs> well so here's the thing as i mentioned in the intro here i love handheld gaming and i always have and i remember my game boy when i was growing up and i had the light and i uh, used to play at night when my mom thought i was sleeping and i used to have to if i heard her coming up the stairs real quick turn off the light and <laughs> pretend i was sleeping and then go back into it and uh like i said i want to play more game boy games in the playthrough so we'll have to discuss mm -hmm. that and uh people if you've got any good games you can shout us out and uh let us know what you want to play but I love all modern handhelds, like anything that's well backlit and has a good software library and a good feeling in your hands and rugged hardware. Like I have multiple DSs. I have a DSi, two DSi XLs. I have my 3DS. I have multiple PSPs, multiple Game Boy Advance SPs. Like I have so many handhelds and so much redundancy in my handheld collection that I just can't get enough. But the one that really takes the cake, I gotta agree with Pocky X here, it's the PSP. I mentioned last month that I replaced my second PSP, so I have a 1000 and a 3000. And 
they both are hacked. And for anybody who doesn't know or is interested, the PSP is one of the easiest software hacks you can do. It's literally just dropping a few files on the PSP via your computer and running them. And I have three 64 gig memory cards loaded with games from every system you can imagine. And to answer this question, I was wondering, like, okay, if you put a gun to my head and told me I could only play one handheld for the rest of my life, what would it be? And the easiest answer without question would be the PSP because I could play everything on it. Much like the PS3, I was describing emulators, PSP games, PS1 games, whatever you can think of, you can play on these PSPs. And I have two really cool ones because I have my Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker Edition green PSP 3000, which is a beautiful piece. And then I, like I said, I just recently got that Japanese PSP 1000. And I forgot to mention that PSP 1000 came with a cool wallpaper that was like a MotoGP like guy on a motorcycle wallpaper. And at first I changed it, but then I thought that gave that machine a lot of character. So I actually put it back on and I thought, wow, whatever Japanese kid had that as his wallpaper, he was a pretty cool dude or cool chick, however it it played out there. So I got to go with the PSP because I could take my PSPs and I would have games to play for the rest of my life and beyond. All right. I thought you were going to weasel out there for a minute and just go with all modern handhelds. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to totally call you out if you did that. No, no. But like I said, I love the Vita and I love, 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 love the 3DS. So I love them all. Modern handheld gaming is an amazing part of my collecting and my playing habits. If I do say so myself, I came up with this question and I really love it. (laughs) So uh, the reason I came up with this question is because we played a dedicated handheld game this month, and that is Lunar Nights on the Nintendo DS. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I chose this game, like Rich said, we were between this and Monster Tail, but I wanted to play Lunar Nights because it was designed by Kojima Productions. And as we've talked about, we were already talking about Metal Gear Solid 5 in this episode. So we're all big Kojima fans around here. And I figured, why not? Let's check it out. So it is part of the Boktai series, which was a series that began on the Game Boy Advance. I haven't played them, so I'm not an expert, but I know that they are like similar to this title, hack and slash dungeon-y RPGs, but they have this kind of shtick where they actually have a solar sensor on the cartridge. So part of the gameplay of the Game Boy Advance games was to go outside and get some sunlight on your cartridge and it would affect gameplay. There are elements of that in Lunar Nights, but they're within the game and not related to any kind of outside hardware gimmicks, for lack of a better word. In Japan, this game was known as Boktai DS, and it's the fourth game in the series. It was released in Japan in late 2006 and in all other regions in early 2007. Published by Konami and, as I said, developed by Kojima Productions. It wasn't directed by Hideo Kojima. It was directed by Ikuya Nakamura and produced by Hideo Kojima and Kensuke Noshitomi. 
And it's basically your run-of-the-mill anime-style, Diablo-style dungeon crawler RPG where you can switch off characters between a gunslinger and a swordmaster. These are a dime a dozen, right, Rich? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, so I think we'll find as we discuss the game that it's a very unique game and it's a unique combination of elements taken from other games Mm -hmm. that traditionally we don't see together, including um, space shoot-em-up segments, which I forgot to mention. So one last thing I want to say before we get into it is that this game is, I wouldn't call it a hidden gem or anything, but it seems to be very obscure. Even doing the research for this episode, there's not a ton of YouTube videos up on it. The Wikipedia is very sparse. It's not a very well-known game. And it's uh, not super well documented. As a matter of fact, when we talk about the music, I couldn't find a name for a composer of this game. Hmm. It's a little bit out there, and I, which is surprising to me because it's Kojima Productions. You'd think it would be a, a little bit more well documented. Yeah, so that's the release data. Rich, had you even heard of this game before you and I started discussing it? I think I had seen it around at certain points, you know, but I thought maybe that was part of the Lunar series, but obviously it's not. And so for that reason, I never really picked it up. I'm kind of hesitant when it comes to RPGs, especially on more modern systems. I don't play a lot of those, but I've actually enjoyed playing the few that uh, we've played. I think we played Magical Star Sign several years ago and uh, had a lot of fun with that. So, you know, it's a genre yeah. that I'd probably like to find several more games on, you know, the DS or the 3DS to play. Very cool. Have you played any of the Boktai games? Uh, no, no, I have not. No. I think I owned one of them at one point, but obviously I don't have it anymore and I, I have not played any of them. So, Corey, is this your first introduction into Boktai or the Lunar Nights games? It is, yeah. Um, never heard of it or played it before, but once I started playing Lunar Nights, I looked a little bit more into it and learned about the Boktai series and kind of realized that it was, you know, a continuation of that series. Um, found it kind of interesting that the uh, main characters' names are a little different than what they are in the Boktai series, but yeah, it's first time playing and first time really learning about this game in this series. Cool. All right, well, so here's the thing. Rich, I'm going to confess to you that I have not found a game in general or a story in particular to be more stifling (laughs) as far as getting on the air and having to talk about it since we did Final Fantasy Adventure when we had Metal Fro on the show. Yeah. And as our listeners will remember, I had a really hard time recounting or summarizing the story for that game. And that happens from time to time. Sometimes a game story is really clear cut and easy to explain. Other times a game story is just so nebulous and just not clear and you don't know what is consequential. It's a kind of game where I saw plot twists coming that never happened. You know mm, what I mean? Like yeah. there's crazy things going on like that. So I think the story could be explained pretty well with what the gameplay is, which is that you have two player characters. One is Lucian, who's a vampire, and then there's Aaron, who is part of a group of... Are they vampire hunters or... Sort of. I think they're called like Solar Knights or something of that nature. Is that right? Right. Mm -hmm. So 
you play as both of them and you can switch off at any time during the gameplay. And basically the story of the game is that you have to fight these bosses who are like the boss vampires, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you have to encase them in these (laughs) mecha caskets or whatever the hell they are. Yeah. And and shoot them off into space. And uh, in return for that, you get new Pokemons. What are they called? Uh, (laughs) uh, Terrenials. Yeah, so you get your Terrenials, which give you different elemental powers. I mean, that's the gameplay, and that's what the story is. And there are cutscenes, and it's not like a Metal Gear game where there's just tons of dialogue, but there's plenty of dialogue. But, I mean, Rich, help me out here. I'm obviously floundering, like... (laughs) And look, I know I'm not going crazy because a lot of people on the thread agree with me. So what would you say if you had to summarize a story? Yeah, I think what you're talking about on our thread is there's not a lot of exposition. There's not a lot that really happens during the story. I think the best way to kind of describe it is to talk a little bit about the background. This takes place on Earth, obviously in the future. What has happened is that vampires have sort of enslaved humanity and they're using them to suck the life force out of so that they can continue to exist and take over the planet. And so the humans are fighting back and you actually get help from who I assume is a vampire, Lucian. I feel like he's sort of maybe half human, half vampire. You know, sort of like Alucard from the Castlevania series. I got that impression. I don't know if that was ever said in the game. But um, Lucian and Aaron, who's the other main character that you play with, I want to say it's sort of like an oracle that they're to come back and defeat these vampires. And, And this is something that has happened before in the history of this world. So you play as these characters. At first you play as one, and then you play as the other, and then... Later on in the game, you get to kind of flip-flop on the run and play as both characters. And so, like you said, you're defeating these vampire bosses and to find this one final vampire boss that Lucian is looking for. But there is a twist toward the end of the game, and I'm not sure if it's something you want to talk about now or you want to wait till later to talk about. No, I don't think it matters. Even on the thread, I was like, you know, we have checkpoints for plot purposes, but... I feel like even if you spoiled it, it's not consequential. It's not going to be like, oh, I wish I didn't know that. Right. And we spoil all the games anyway. So I think we should just go for it. Right. So there's this group of, I would say, divine beings called the Immortals. They look over the universe and they're kind of backing the vampires in this destruction and takeover of Earth. And, um, you know, that's where your kind of plot twist comes in at the end. And I'm sure we're going to talk about the ending later and the final boss battles, plural. (laughs) But, but yeah, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of the story, I would say, a kind of a broad overview. And uh, there's not a whole lot of exposition or changing in the story other than that. Yeah. Now, Corey, what were your impressions of the story in general? Little confusing at times for Mm. me. Really enjoyed the game, had a lot of fun with it, but I feel like maybe it was lacking a bit in the storyline, if you know that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly what we're talking about, that it just didn't jive all together in a way that kept you going for the narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, As I was playing through the game, I cared more about the gameplay and the dungeons and the world map, and that's fine. I mean, 
not every game even has a story. So it's just weird, you know, knowing, let's just say the Metal Gear Solid games that are super narrative heavy and super complicated in a good way, intricate and very deep characters with different motivations and there's political intrigue. Some people don't like it, but I think it's really like top-notch storytelling in at least the early Metal Gear Solid games. And so maybe my expectations were too high, but I don't think that was really it. I think the story was just kind of all over the place. It was hard to know what was important and what was just kind of happening. The story just kind of faded in my focus as I was enjoying the gameplay more. I totally agree with that. Hearing Kojima being tied into this game, like you said, there's a high expectation of a story that's going to develop in this. And it really becomes a very rinse and repeat game. Play a level, fight a boss, go through a a shmup encounter, and then Mm -hmm. rinse and repeat. So it, it really doesn't change. And the story never really develops highly in this game. I'd compare this game to like a bad soup that has like, (laughs) (laughs) and I know that's funny to say, but like it has a good roux and it has a good base. Because I like the general idea of the story with the vampires and the humans and the immortals. But when you don't add enough ingredients, it just kind of sours. You know what I mean? And it's bland. And um, I think that's probably the best way to describe the story of this game. Yeah. Let's not belabor the point. We could talk about the ending later. I think we should just move on into gameplay. Uh, If you're going to play this game, this is the part that you're more likely to enjoy. So as I said in the intro, it is an action RPG. It's a top-down from kind of a diagonal viewpoint. It's colorful and cartoony styled, and you move your character around the screen with the D-pad or the thumb slider if you're using a 3DS, which I found to be more... (laughs) Um, accurate let's say yeah i I laugh because sean and i had a little conversation about this (laughs) yeah i'm a Um, d-pad guy for sure no i respect that but it is uh eight directional movement so for me the circle pad was like perfect for that it was almost as if it was designed with that in mind like i said lucian wields a sword and aaron also known as the gunslinger he has projectile guns All weapons can be upgraded and augmented, and your Terennials give your weapons different attributes, which can do more damage to certain enemies, can break down certain barriers based on what element they are. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is kind of cribbed from a Metal Gear Solid game I think is the control scheme where you have these like kind of rotary menus on the shoulder buttons that you can change your terrenial with the left shoulder button and your weapons with the right shoulder button. But correct me if I'm wrong, only Aaron has multiple weapons. Lucian, he has the same sword through the whole game, right? Nope. You can actually do some of the hidden areas. You mentioned the terrenials. One of the things is, is there are certain places you go to, you know, in the onset of the game that you can't access because you don't have the right terrenial yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you don't get the ice terrenial until later. And you can backtrack and go back to those levels and find different weapons for Lucian too. I actually found an additional one. I'm not sure how many there are. I haven't looked into this, but I found a lance that, uh, you know, gave you a little more damage and a little more length. So you can find extra weapons for Lucian as well. 
Okay. I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I looked into it. If it helps, Lucian has three total weapons and Aaron has five. Okay. Okay. Cool. And throughout the game, I only got the main sword Lucian gets and, you know, a couple different guns that Aaron has. Yeah. I found one hidden gun, a bomber gun, like a grenade launcher that he had. But I think most of the other guns you get just throughout the gameplay and finishing levels, somebody hands you a new one. But Lucian, uh, not so much. You have to do a little bit of backtracking to find most of those. Okay. Good to know. See, I'm learning things here. And uh, I guess that's a good opportunity for me to say, and people who read the forum know this, I did not finish the game. I hit a wall like I've never experienced before where I actually got stuck at a boss battle. I got stuck at the boss of chapter four, but I beat him and then I beat the spaceship level after him. But the whole thing was such trouble for me that when I started playing again, I realized I was kind of under leveled and I struggled with, do I go back and grind? I even turned on some cheats. I just hit a wall, man. It's hard to explain, but I was like, I'm done. I'm not going to play this anymore. (laughs) So it wasn't a rage quit and it wasn't like, screw this game. I hate it. It was just like, man, I'm done with this. Like I enjoyed it so much in the beginning though. So let's keep going with the good stuff in the gameplay. So one of the things while we're talking about weapons and the two characters is that there's an energy meter. And to use a Terennial with either character, you have to have energy. But there's a weird thing about this game. And Rich, this was brought up a few times in the forums, but it's something that you and I chatted about at length. And that is that Lucian's sword can be used without any energy, and you, you can have the Terennials turned off, so to speak, and you can still run around hacking and slashing. It doesn't do as much damage, depending on the enemy. It's almost like in a first-person shooter, most of the time you have an unlimited pistol, so that you, you aren't just helpless and you aren't just impotent to fight enemies in the game. The problem is with Aaron, he has to have energy to shoot at all. Mm-hmm. To add insult to injury, if you try to shoot when you have no energy, you just go click, 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 click. And it's just like, you got to be kidding me. So as you're playing the game, if Lucian dies and you're playing as Aaron and you run out of energy, you're just dead in the water. Unless you have items. There are restorative items. But you can really be at a point where you're just screwed. And I thought that was really weird. And you and I discussed that. They really should have had something, like some kind of pea shooter that you could use as a last resort that had some kind of unlimited ammo or something you know yeah i mean maybe something weaker obviously but right right i I totally agree with that and i felt because of this imbalance that i was using lucian a lot more than i was using aaron and lucian was much more powerful because he was leveling up more than aaron was i just felt like it made the game unbalanced and i kind of contribute this decision to changing this game from the Japanese, like the Boktai style, where you could have the solar sensors. Because I feel like if you could use Aaron and you could just go outside and have that solar sensor refill your energy, then it would be a lot easier to traverse. Yeah. And we should mention this too, that you could press a button where you would raise your arm up in the air and you could obtain energy. However, Lucian could only do it at night. And Aaron could only do it in the daylight. You had to either be outside or you had to find where, like, light was coming through a window in the game. And I I just didn't think there was enough of that. No. Those things were hard to find a lot of times. 
like I said, I think converting this game away from the style with the solar sensor is part of what is a bit of a downfall in this title. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with you that I was relying on Lucian. Like I was probably playing 70% to 30% Aaron. Uh, What about you, Corey? I have it in my notes, like at the top that I pretty much Lucian 80%. Oh, wow. (laughs) And it's like what y'all just said, the farther you get in the game, there are no opportunities for Aaron to grab sunlight to restore his energy. Oh man, you're screwed if Lucian dies at some point. Like it's just, it's difficult. Yeah. So I I will say there is an item system and it is similar to, I mentioned on the forum, Metal Gear Solid 3, where the food can actually like deteriorate in your inventory. So add that to your list of troubles. (laughs) You can have these, uh, I think it was the oranges that gave you energy, Mm -hmm. but you have to use them or they'll just rot in your inventory. I'm usually not a fan of these things. I found... Sometimes in the game, I was overloaded on items, and then sometimes I felt I had nothing and was really in trouble. Also, there's those scrap items. They look like little hammers. But when you pick those up, you can actually just appraise them right in your inventory, and they go out of your inventory, and they go into the weapon upgrade system. And there's a place you go on the world map, the mansion, where you have a certain character can upgrade your weapons for you and you use those scrap items. But that just kind of makes a kind of a pain in the neck inventory situation where you're like, okay, I see I'm trying to pick up a scrap item. So I got to go in my inventory, use one of my healing items. Maybe I don't really want to, but I want to pick up this scrap item because I don't want to miss any. Or you see if you have scrap items that you can appraise and get out of your way kind of thing. I didn't hate it, but I just thought the inventory system was maybe more of a pain in the neck than it was worth. I don't know. It causes you to pause a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs) I didn't even, I wasn't even keen to the like oranges uh, going bad until maybe halfway through the game. When they go bad, it makes a noise and I'm like, what is that? (laughs) It took me a while to realize what it was. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with Corey. I think it really disrupts the flow of the game because you're having to like go to your menu all the time and readjust just some sort of auto appraisal would have been perfect. You know what I mean? Like you pick something up and it says you found a scrap and it is this shows it, you know, at the top of your screen. It's just so unnecessary and time consuming. And Going through your menu is problematic as it is. I know Krabby was complaining about it because you have to use the stylus until we told him you can actually use the shoulder buttons as well to go through the menu. Um, yeah. And that was a good addition. I really like that you were able to use the uh, shoulder buttons, but um, until you know that, the stylus becomes problematic. You have to either keep it in one of your hands as you're playing or you know pull it out and put it back in. And you know it just really, really slows down the gameplay. There's another way to get energy, and that is from the solar banks. And as you play, you fill up the solar banks by getting these like kind of coins that the enemies drop. And then on the world map, there's one of the towns you can go and, and deposit those into the solar banks. This is kind of a neat system because there's a solar bank before every boss battle. So you can fill up your energy meters 
The first time I got to a boss battle, it might have been the first boss battle. I didn't understand exactly what it was, and I had nothing in the solar bank, so I was like, <laughs> oh, damn. But then once I realized what it was, I actually found it to be quite useful. But then once again, like your energy meter only goes so far, even once it's full and you go into a boss battle. So uh, that was just another gameplay mechanic that was just kind of thrown in there with this whole like kitchen sink uh, method. Any comments on that? I just agree with you. It was a cool aspect to the game. Yeah, I really like the banks. That was really neat, and I think well implemented into the game to help you fill up for boss battles. And, you know, just to kind of add to that, it was kind of nice that you always had, like, a room right before the boss battles that you could save in, because you could yeah. save on the mm -hmm. fly in this game. But you could save with, like, full energy there. And for the edges of the screen, I think the arrows were always red, and I think it was green for the boss battle. So you always knew that you were going into a room that would have a boss encounter. And I thought that was just a nice little addition to give you some indication of what you might be walking into and that you needed to save. Yeah, I love when games do that. Um, actually, Near Replicant has that. When you're about to do a boss battle, there's always a save point. And thank God for that. Please, developers, always do that. <laughs> um so you mentioned the stylus integration in the menu system. So that's a good opportunity to also talk about the shoot 'em up segments that we have mentioned. Oh, not a big fan, huh? <laughs> I'll so, be surprised if either of you are as well. Yeah. So at first I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. All right. I like this. Like I love games where it's just like, throwing different gameplay elements into one game i mean one of the classic uh examples is the guardian legend you know mm -hmm. like yeah. that nes game where you're doing shoot 'em up segments and then you're going into like a top-down zelda segment like what a cool thing but then the mechanics of it are not great because exactly. you have to move the ship and shoot with the stylus and it puts me in a situation that I hate, which is scraping the stylus all over the screen constantly. And I know it's meant to be a touchscreen, and I know that stylus is designed not to scratch the screen. I am loath to play games where I'm just wildly scraping a stylus all over my touchscreen of my beautiful, well-taken-care-of devices. <laughs> yeah. So this made me a little bit panicky, and I think... It would have been so, so, so much better if you could move the ship with the D-pad and at yeah. least only shoot by using the stylus. Because then you could just gently tap on the enemies to make it shoot at them. So yeah, I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, I wish this wasn't in the game. But I think it would have been way better with some different controls. What do you think, Corey? Completely agree. Uh, I like the concept, but just... I say throw the stylus out altogether. Absolutely. Just, oh, okay. Just yeah, control okay. pad and, uh, you know, use your buttons to shoot. So yeah, I was tired of that. Just tap, 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 tap yeah. on my screen. Like. <laughs> <laughs> we should mention you, you can change the weapons in these segments. Oh, really? I don't know if you knew that. Wow. Yeah, no, you can change I had no idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can change the terrenial and some of them are like auto fire. So you don't have to constantly uh, tap what? the screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh man, my wife would have liked to have known that as I'm lying in bed, like about to put my stylus through the f***ing screen, tapping it as he's sleeping. I got some really dirty looks, man. Yeah, that actually saved my bacon a couple times because some of those battles get pretty intense. Actually, I think the game was pretty 
balanced and it's almost like rubber banded in a way that when your health gets really low, they start giving you a lot of health power ups and you can get your health back up before a mini boss or before a boss. But still, I had some super close calls with those uh, boss battles and uh, switching the, the weapons helped me a lot. Probably other than the next to last boss battle, that fourth shmup stage probably took me the most times to get through and especially not knowing that there was any type of auto fire option in the game and just killing my wrist like tapping on that screen over and over and uh you know like i said i was afraid that i was going to damage my 3ds i've got one of those metroid edition 3ds xls and yeah i mean (laughs) it was like panicking i was like this is just insane I'm like Corey. I feel like they shouldn't have even used the stylus on this. And I think I mentioned on the forums, it would have been good to have a, like a gyrus like game. I think that would have been well done. I do like the idea of implementing a different game style, like a shmup, but I just think that it was implemented really poorly in this game. Yeah. Fair enough. We should mention as well that there is a little bit of a stealth element, which you couldn't, I mean, Kojima Productions could not make a game and not have some kind of stealth in there. And that is, (laughs) it's one of those things that's like, I don't want to say tacked on, but it's one of those things that it's, it's not a great mechanic and you only have to use it like once or twice. Like you only have to use it once or twice in the game where it's like, you cannot be discovered or you fail kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of a gimmick involved where you blow into the microphone and it makes your character whistle. And the point of that is to get an enemy's attention and kind of redirect them to somewhere so you can sneak around. I'm assuming it's taken from Metal Gear Solid where you can make Solid Snake either knock on the walls to attract enemies or in Metal Gear Solid 5, he can crack his knuckles on his mechanical hand. It's one of those things. I only used it once and I was like, oh, that's neat. You know, and then there's there's one mission later on. It's actually in the tower, which is around the time I stopped playing the game where it makes you go into a room and sneak through it without being detected. But I would say in general, the stealth was not something I used. To me, this is a hack and slash, hack everything, slash everything. I ain't sneaking around. Come on. So (laughs) what about you, Corey? Were you blowing into your microphone a lot or what? (laughs) (laughs) Only a couple times, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I did not use this uh, integration very much. Yeah. I mean, it's like you just said, like, it's a cool idea, but it just, uh, this game, I just want to run in and start slashing, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It makes little sense in this game. There are probably about, I would say probably about five or six instances in this game where you have to use stealth and I never use the whistle. You don't have to use it. Right. So I just found it very pointless. Yeah, most of the enemies you have to stealth around, once you learn their field division and once you know their patterns, most of them move pretty slowly and the stealth sections are not hard at all. So um, the whistling thing was just kind of a weird gimmick, I think. So yeah, we mentioned the the game is broken down into these six chapters, each with a boss battle at the end. And some of the commentary on the site that I agree with was that The boss battles didn't get unique till after the second half, let's say, where 
The first couple of boss battles were fine, but they just seemed to be strong enemies. And there was no strategy required. You just kind of beat on them until they're dead. Oh, and to use your trace power, which we we should mention is like, there's this meter that fills up as you defeat enemies. And that's your third meter. So you have life, energy, and then this TRC, trace power. Once that fills, you can do a super attack, which is basically god mode. It's I called it the win button because if you save it for a boss battle, it can take chunks off a boss, if not just beat it outright. So a lot of the earlier boss battles, you can just kind of punch them around and then use a trace button and beat them. But then towards the end, the boss battles get a little more intricate and require a little bit more thought and strategy. So for a game that is kind of built on that, there's a little bit of missed opportunity with the earlier bosses, but they weren't bad per se. Um, They were all visually interesting, but I don't think it was like some games we played in the past, like Final Fantasy Adventure, where all the bosses were unique and the sprites were amazing and all that kind of other stuff. Would you agree with that, Rich? Yeah, I mean, I felt like the boss battles seemed to be very repetitive. Mm-hmm. Mainly you would fight what I would describe as a chimera, which is, you know, like half lion, half scorpion tail. And it was just different color skins, basically, I thought. For a majority of the boss battles, I felt like it wasn't until the end where you actually got some diversity. Now, they did change it up, you know, where as far as if you use a different terrenial, that it would do more damage and such. But... They were very samey. It was just like they built on each one. You would fight just a reskin of a boss, and they might add something different. Like in one, I know, like the green one near the end, he disappears and his shadow follows you around. So you have to keep moving because it lunges at you. So, yeah, I mean, there are some nice additions to the game. And one thing we should mention, too, is the shield. You do have a shield in the game, which I... Again, I feel like that's a little bit tacked on where you can actually, if you time it just right, you can bounce projectiles back at enemies, uh, which is helpful in boss battles, but I never really found it helpful much in the levels other than to just like block projectiles when you're like on a floating platform so you don't get knocked off. But uh, anyway, uh, just kind of getting back, I felt like the enemies were just very repetitive too, just different color skins of enemies and uh, not a lot of variety. It's kind of bland. Yeah, Corey, boss battles, enemy variety. Yeah, uh, speaking about the boss battles, I feel like the first couple with the like the ones Rich were talking about, the Chimera, were just easy. I didn't even have to utilize the TRC mode to beat them. I mean, oh, wow. I did it just to see what it was like, but I didn't really need the TRC mode until I got to uh, the twins and the sewer boss. Yeah, yeah, that was like the first boss battle where I, I wouldn't say I struggled, but like I actually died twice before I beat them. And yeah, the enemies were pretty repetitive throughout the game, pretty easy. I think the most frustrating enemy that I finally realized, like, you know what, I'm not even going to mess with these enemies and just run past them is, I think they're the golems, the things that roll in a ball towards you. Oh man, I hated those so much. Like they were frustrating me. Beyond belief. It seemed like they took off a lot of oh. damage when they hit you. Yeah, that, that's get... what made them very frustrating. But yeah, and just to speak a little bit more on the bosses, yeah, I feel like the first half of bosses up until you get the uh, twins in the sewer just kind of like, you know, come up with something a little more original and interesting. 
But I, you know, I really enjoyed the second half of the bosses. Uh, they got really tough towards the end. Yeah, and I just want to piggyback off something that Corey mentioned was that you can basically just run through this game. You don't have to beat everything on the level. You can choose to level up if you want to, but you really don't have to, which is kind of an interesting concept. However, there are these other parts of the game, which they call the traps, right? Where the doors to the rooms close and you have to beat everything in the room in order to open it back up. So I thought that was kind of a neat addition to the game. I didn't mind it so much. I don't know how you guys felt about it. Yeah, I've seen that in other games. That, there's actually, <laughs> pardon me for being a broken record, but there's stuff like that in Near Replicant sure. that I, in a dungeon that I just played through. Uh, so I'm down with that kind of stuff. I think it's cool, like a challenge room kind of thing. Yeah, I liked it. It was, I mean, and not only this certain part of the game, but the game in general kind of had a Zelda-esque feel to it. Because in Zelda games, you get trapped in those rooms where you have to defeat all the bosses and stuff. That's true, yeah. Yep. So many gameplay elements mixed into this game. I think we covered most, if not all of them, but I'm sure we forgot something because this game is really just a kind of a smorgasbord of different things. It's like um, throw everything against the wall and see what (laughs) sticks. And I think maybe they included some things that shouldn't have been stuck, (laughs) so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. Do either of you guys have anything else that got thrown up against the wall here that I missed? Yeah, um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was this climate control aspect to the game, which Uh, I think is kind of important. You can go to the same guy that does your sword upgrades, and you can actually change the climate in the game, which is kind of a neat aspect, but a little annoying at times. It can give you access to different parts of different levels, like if you use the uh, tropical climate, it can make vines grow that you can actually transcend to like find treasure chests and things like that that can aid you in the game or special items if you use the frozen tundra one it can freeze these lakes and there's another one that makes it like windier so you can get on these gliders and fly to certain objects it's kind of a neat concept but it's a bit annoying because even though like you can use these gliders in the game you have to sometimes sit around and wait until the wind is up to a high enough speed where you can use the glider, even if you have the correct climate turned on. And so, for me, that was super annoying. I'm like, well, I have the correct thing on. Let me just access this area. 
what am I going to do? Just walk around and just wait for the wind speed to pick up enough to where I can use this glider? And then I do it, and it's just like a fruit or something at the end of the glider. Yeah, I don't know that this climate control system was very well integrated and thought out. And the other problem is that you can't really use it on the fly. If you could change it on the fly, I could see it being more sensible and better used in the game. But you have to completely leave the level and go to this guy's mansion and change the climate, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. And it took all of us a while to kind of understand what the climate control even did or what it was for. And I don't think I... I still don't think I fully grasp how it actually works. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's sort of like the Terennials is it's just a way to make the game thicker so that you have to go back and you can find hidden stuff. You don't have to do it. It can also change the types and varieties of enemies that you get each level. And it also affects the drops of the different junk parts and things like that that you get for each level. So that's integrated, but I don't think it's very well integrated and not really used to its full potential in the game because it's not something that you have to use. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit blah. <laughs> and um, I guess one of the other things I wanted to talk about was just the leveling system and the stat upgrades and just wanted to kind of hear where you guys put most of your stats into when you upgraded. Oh, yeah. So this is an RPG and you get experience points for defeating enemies. And as you level up, you get skill points that you can add to your life, your energy or your strength, which is basically your attack power. Yeah, I did what I usually do in games like this and just went for a kind of balanced approach. And if I leaned on anything, I leaned on strength because I wanted to be able to dispatch enemies quicker. About you, Corey? Pretty even amongst each one, and I lean more towards energy. Oh, okay. Yeah. What about you, Rich? I leaned more toward the attack power. Yeah. I just did attack power each time. I always felt like I had enough health at all times, and it just didn't really phase me that much. The other thing that kind of got me was like the armor system in the game. I never felt like armor really improved me that much, and... You know, the inventory system was so limited. You know, usually in RPGs, it's fun to kind of collect armor. You know what I mean? Like you get something and, you know, you just kind of you have this endless supply of inventory. Where you can just start collecting stuff. But I found with this game that I filled up the armor inventory and you just had to delete things in mm -hmm. your inventory. And you never knew really what you were going to need. And, you know, to kind of go along with the climate thing, there were these, you know, suits that you could have. The hat necklace you know the boots and then the the armor where if you had to climb it on a certain area like tundra and you had the entire white outfit it would help you if the temperature was a certain degree or something like that and again i i feel like with everything in this game it's just something else that they're just throwing out there to see if it sticks and it really just doesn't <laughs> you know yeah all right. Well, <laughs> I think now we're at the end of the gameplay, so we can move into the graphical presentation. Uh, I do think that the graphics are a strong point in this game. Mm -hmm. To get it right out of the way, we do have some anime cutscenes, which are always great in my book. Mm -hmm. But as far as the gameplay, like the in-game graphics, they're colorful, cell-shaded-ish kind of anime graphics. And 
I think the environments are pretty well detailed. Some of them are kind of bland, but most of them are unique. There's a lot of purples and reds would be the color scheme, I would say, in this game. But the one thing that's graphically unimpressive, I think, is the world map. Yeah. It's a bunch of squares on a brown square. Like, (laughs) it has this kind of... uh, computerized radar kind of system that it just doesn't look great but the rest of the game does look really good i think the character portraits and the cutscenes are very detailed and they look very pretty and nice and um the enemy sprites as few different ones as there are the ones that are there look good the boss sprites were good everything was pretty good the graphics in the shoot 'em up segments weren't that great because they were that kind of jagged polygonal Nintendo 64 looking DS graphics. But as far as the the normal in-game, like the dungeon crawling graphics, I thought they were colorful and nice and cool. Corey? Yeah, I I pretty much agree with all that. The graphics are really good. I love the cutscenes. I feel like this is one of those games where they did a really awesome job on the graphics and the environment and then kind of left the story lacking as we already discussed. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned also, the map was pretty underwhelming, but mm. I have only a high rating for the graphics and environments. Nice. You know, minus a couple things that perturb me personally, but okay. nothing <laughs> like, like, like the map. And, uh, yeah, and I know this was part of the gameplay, but did y'all ever get to a point where you got poisoned and as you moved like this? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that was part of the game, but it bugged me so much. It like made me feel sick and I had to quit playing. So yeah, I could see that. (laughs) So yeah, when you get poisoned, the the screen just goes blurry when you move. And that is really uh, disorienting, which was the goal. So I mean, they did it, but that's it's almost like one of those drunkenness mechanics in a game where it's like, oh, man, this is just making me dizzy kind of thing. It's almost like is my DS breaking? (laughs) Yeah, the the first time it happens, like, whoa, what's going on? there's an amulet that you can buy so that you don't get poisoned. And I think I just wore that the entire game. So that helped. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Yeah. So Rich, what was your impression in general of the graphical presentation? Well, to keep this short, let me just quote the late Patrick Swayze in in the film Ghost and say, ditto. Okay. So yeah, I kind of felt the same way you guys did. I mean, the levels were great and everything, the shmup scene. Eh, and the map was unimpressive. So, yeah, I'll just reiterate what you guys said. Okay. Well, look, now we have an opportunity to move into something that I think was universally praised about this game, by our community at least. Mm. And that... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, we're going to have a dissenting voice, but I'm going to start and say that the music was awesome in this game. I loved it. I like the dungeon crawling music because it was upbeat and jazzy. It really reminded me of Shoji Meguro, who's the composer for the Persona games. And I love his music because it's an upbeat mix of jazz and pop. And it just gets you going. It gets the blood flowing when you're playing a game. And the music in Lunar Nights, at least the gameplay music in the dungeons, reminded me of that. And... There's different music as you go through boss battles and dramatic cutscenes. The music gets more intense. But in general, I was a big fan of that jazzy kind of upbeat stuff. What about you, Corey? 
Agree. Um, okay. Not to get too much into it, I'm really curious what Rich has yeah, to say. Yeah, me too. About That's it. why I came to you first. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. Jazzy, upbeat, fun. Like, yeah. It helped with the story because, as I mentioned, the story got a little repetitive and boring, but the music kind of kept me in it. So Cool. So, Rich, man, yeah. what's, what's going on here? Well, as someone who played the game and then also went back and listened to all 89 tracks <laughs> of the OST, let me just say this. I think the music is not good in this game. Wow. Um, the best way I can describe the music in this game is as disjointed. Okay. I thought the maps and the NPC areas were just like this... Like you said, this cartoony, jazzy, sort of Japanese style that was, it felt like a detective film noir. And there were these happy RPG adventure tunes that just didn't fit the mood of this game. I mean, this is a bleak game. I mean, the human race is being taken over by vampires. Why are we listening to jazz and happy (laughs) tunes? It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it does not fit the style of this game at all. The encounter areas, they were like more string instruments. And they were a little bit more dire, but just not enough. And then on top of that, there's like industrial music later on in the game. It's all over the damn place. I I just don't like the music in this game at all. Some areas that I did like, though, some of my favorites were Dark Castle 1 and 2, Dark Tower, and Planet Eater Byron were my favorite tracks. And those, they use like a pipe organ, and they sound like very vampiric, and it's very Castlevania-like, which I think, you know, with Konami especially, really fits this game, right? I mean, it's kind of a throwback to Castlevania and, and this vampire sound, and I really like that a lot, but for the most part... I mean, I'm sitting here talking like about four different styles of music in a game, and it's just very disruptive and unbalanced to me. And yeah, I didn't like the music in this game at all. Well, you mentioned Castlevania, and as you started talking, I was thinking, this is a Konami game. Somebody should do a ROM hack of this game and rescore <laughs> it with all Castlevania music. I would yeah, appreciate I think that. that would be, be great. Cool. And, and I think you have a good point that for the subject matter and tone of the game, it's not the best. Yeah. But again, the story and the subject matter and tone didn't play well to me. You know, like yeah. I wasn't too concerned with them, let's say. So for my moment to moment enjoyment of the game, I tended to appreciate the more upbeat music. But I get what you're saying. I, I think you have a valid point. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like when I was playing the game, it didn't bother me as much as when I went back and actually listened to the soundtrack. Does that make sense? Yeah. It could be enjoyable and fine. It just kind of fits into the background, you know, like we say about a lot of music. But, you know, when I really just kind of step back and listen to tracks and sort of analyze it, I'm just like, man, this is just all over the place. It does not make sense. So I can understand, you know, it could be an enjoyable listen, but for me... A lot of times with games, I feel like music really sets the mood and that it has to be appropriate for the mood of the game. And for this game, I just didn't get that. That's just my opinion, though. Okay, fair enough.
All right. Well, let's start to wrap it up here. So as I stated, I didn't finish the game, but I did watch the remainder of the game on YouTube. So I did see the second to last and the last boss and the ending of the game. Corey, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you are kind of in the same boat. But you told me that you want to finish the game. I do. So I got stuck. uh, I think we were both in the same boat, the crab boss. Yeah, Baron Vaughn something. Yeah, and I kind of stopped there for a while and started watching the walkthrough. And then a couple nights ago, I went back. I beat the crab. (laughs) Baron. And anyways, and then last night I beat the second to last boss and watched the uh, walkthrough on the final boss. And the walkthrough in the final boss, to me, looks much easier than the second to last boss. So that's why I'm going to go back tonight and finish it. Yeah, I got the same impression there. So having said all that, Rich, I'm going to bestow upon you the honors of explaining the final boss and the ending. Because you're the only one on this call who actually has finished the game at this point. So, Corey, let me get this straight. You beat Duke. Is that correct? You beat that boss? Yes. Okay. That is the toughest boss in the game, and the rest of it is just cake. It's just, you know, just a shmup. Okay. The ending of the game, of course, you beat Duke. It's really tough. I mean, that is a tough boss battle, and it feels like a final boss battle and should be the final boss (laughs) battle. But then you have to do chapter six, which is basically just a shmup stage. It feels pointless. If I were doing this game, I would have made Duke the final boss battle and the final boss battle against the elementals helping the vampires. I feel like him maybe escaping would have been a good way to create a sequel to this game. And then you could go after him as the main boss in the Lunar Knights too. I think that would have been a perfect way to do it. But... For whatever reason, they decide that they have to tack on the shmup battle because you've been doing those after you do those rinse and repeat stage and then shmup battles for each stage, and they just throw it on. The ending, just so-so. You basically just fly back to Earth in your spaceship, and the girl who owns the um, item shop, she's just kind of looking at her window, and Lucian and Aaron are piling the spaceship back to Earth with smiles on their faces, and... That's just kind of the way the game ends. It's nothing spectacular. Yeah, and we should say that the ending struck me as very weird because it's a slideshow of like watercolor <laughs> hand-drawn paintings. So and yeah. it's yeah. it's in an art style that has not appeared in the game thus far. And it's just seemed really out of place and really half-baked. And it almost made me glad that I didn't put in the effort to finish the game because I thought, man... I would have been annoyed if that's what I got after grinding through the end of this game. But, Rich, you mentioned uh, there's some kind of website URL at the end of the game, which I actually didn't catch in the the YouTube video that I watched. So can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. um, Well, I just want to first say the game really has no epilogue. You know, that's what kind of bothers me about it. True, true. You don't know what direction everyone's going when this game ends. You just know that, hey, you saved Earth. That's it. But anyway, to kind of build upon that, like what you're talking about with this in-game website and code, after you beat the game, you get a link to a Konami Japan website, and it gives you this code. So I was like, oh, cool. I wrote it down. I tried to go to the website. Of course, it's down now, (laughs) so you can't even use the damn code. 
I tried to do some searches, but the only thing when I put in code, I would just keep getting cheat code sites, you know, and so it was very jumbled and hard for me to search. But luckily, I posted this question on social media, on Twitter, and some of our site members, Mumbo Jumbo and Bigman 2 k pointed me to a site where you could actually see what it was. It was like this mini game or something that you could play online, and if you completed the entire mini game, I think it's like you rescue the um, Terrenials or something like that. I don't know. It could be completely wrong on this. But from what I understand, could unlock a screensaver. That was what that was all about. <laughs> so just lameness upon more lameness yeah. with this game. And so that's pretty much it. I wonder if that screensaver is still out there somewhere. It is. I've somehow downloaded it to my phone. I think it's like Internet Archives you can actually find it on. So oh, okay. um, cool. I haven't looked at it yet, but I feel like it's somehow downloaded to my phone. I just got to figure out how to access it. I guess something that I kind of wanted to mention, we had spoken about the final boss and the boss battles and how those get tough and hard to get through. One thing I do kind of like about the game, and Sean, I think you probably like this too and appreciate it, just knowing you, is that when you die in a boss battle, it gives you hints on how to do better the next time. I thought that was kind of a neat addition to the game. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. I'm sure Krabby um, hates it, but, you know. No. <laughs> Don't help me, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't hold my hand. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. That was cool. All right. Well, Rich, you had the idea this month to come up with a one-word review for this game. And summed up within our final thoughts for the game will be that one-word review. But as usual, we'll start with the community. And we did get a single word review from our very own Crabmaster2000. And he says, My one word description of the game is unactualized, which sums up my final thoughts on this one, I think. There is a lot of interesting potential here from the plot points to the terrestrial system to the climate system to the equipment upgrade system. But none of those feel as fleshed out as they should be, especially considering both where this game falls in its series timeline and the prestige of the development team behind it. Krabby, I couldn't have said it better myself. I have a slightly different word, but my final thoughts are like so much in tune with what I just read from Krabby there. He just really hit the nail on the head. Yep. I guess I'll go first. I picked this game out. I was really psyched to play a Kojima production when I discovered this game I thought wow this is supposed to be like 12 to 15 hours long it's broken up into chapters so easy to checkpoint it's going to be a lot of fun but in the end I think my one word review is similar to Krabby's and I would just say neutral and that's because I was neutral on everything in this game and at first I liked the game and I ended up not liking it but I never loved it and I never hated it At a certain point, I was having fun, and then I was having no fun. It was to the point where I literally just stopped playing the game. As we've said time and again, and Krabby just summed it up really well, all the stuff they threw into the game just felt half-baked, undercooked, whatever adjectives you want to use. You know, I usually sum up my final thoughts on a game by saying if I would recommend it or not, just thumbs up or thumbs down, and I just can't recommend this game at all. Like, there are so many better games to play on the Nintendo DS, so many better RPGs. It has cool elements, it looks good, I like the music, 
But uh, in general, I don't think it's worth your time. It wasn't worth my time. And uh, I'm just neutral on I'm not sad. I'm not angry. I didn't rage quit. Like I said, <laughs> you would have if you made it to that next to last boss. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. But, but I guess what I'm trying to say, it was hard for me to get passionate about this game either way. And that's why my word is neutral. So, Rich, can I kick it to you and we'll give our guest the last word? Yeah, absolutely. All right, Rich, what's your final thoughts here? I got to go with something similar to what Krabby said, but the word that I chose was overzealous. I thought there were so many things in this game that they tried to do that they missed the point of doing things right. It's more of a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type game. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I like the story, but it didn't go far enough. I like the base of the story. I like some of the gameplay elements, but they didn't develop those gameplay elements well enough. And so I'm like you, Sean, and I'm stuck in not being able to recommend this game. I think this is probably the first game that we've played that we've probably said, I just wouldn't recommend this game. It's not a bad game, like you said, but I just feel like there's too much going on and nothing's really done exceptionally well in this game. Very well said. All right, Corey, I'm going to give you the final word. So give us your final thoughts and your one-word review. Okay, so I couldn't really come up with a better word than just miss. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. that sounds really bad, and I don't mean to be that hard on it because I did enjoy this game. Uh, I wouldn't even say I was neutral on it. I think I liked it a little more than just being neutral. The graphics, you know, were great. I like the music as well. It feels like they developed this game to look good and to start off really cool and fun. And it's like, oh, uh, we got to like release this. Let's just not flesh out the story more. And like, I want to know more about the main characters. All we really know is Aaron is a gunslinger and his dad was a famous gunslinger and Lucian might be a vampire, you know, like I just, if I knew more about the characters, I think... I could have got a little more invested in the game. Um, and he's like a reincarnation as well, you yeah, know, of true. some folk hero. Yeah, I mean, and I just, I couldn't recommend this game to anyone because it's, I mean, it just, it has the potential to be a really good game, but it's just not there. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. It's the first time I've ever been on a podcast. I was a little nervous, but it was a lot of fun. So I appreciate y'all letting me play and be a part of it. Oh, well, sure. I mean, thanks for yeah. coming on. It was awesome to have a uh, in-person guest for the first time ever after all these years. So where can people find you on the Internet? You are turn around and run on the RF Generation forums, mm-hmm. but you are on Twitter. Do you want to share your Twitter handle? I got to be honest with you. I, I do have a Twitter and I can't think of my Twitter handle off the top of my, <laughs> that's how rarely I get on. I'm mostly a Instagram user and uh, I will post my Twitter handle on, okay. on the forum when I find it. No, that's, that's one fine. thing I'm trying to um, use more. And uh, obviously I'm not doing as much design as I want to. And I went to school for, I did have a website at one point, but you know, I'm not doing anything in the design field right now, so I quit paying for my uh, hosting, you know, because it was money going towards nothing. So right. maybe in the future, if you look up my website, is CoreyRobertson.com. Um, it's not up right now, but I want to get it back up here in the next couple months. So Cool that you were able to grab that URL. Yeah, I was surprised <laughs> that it wasn't taken. 
Nice. Well, nice. I mean, you might want to share your social media information because of all the hundreds of people in the Philippines that listen to our show. Um, <laughs> you'll definitely be getting some buzz and people that want to reach out to you. Okay. Awesome. I will definitely do that on the forum. <laughs> awesome. And uh, I just want to say, Corey, it's uh, you know, great talking to you for the first time and uh, really enjoyed having you on the show as well. And uh, thanks for uh, all the stuff you've done for us as far as design. Uh, it looks fantastic and uh, really appreciate that. And uh, hopefully I'll get to meet you in person when I come to Austin. Yeah, you definitely will. We'll do something fun when you visit. And it's my pleasure working on the design work for y'all. It was a lot of fun. I've never really got to do anything like from a you know video game standpoint. So. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right. So, Rich, refresh our memory. What should people already be playing in the month of February? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, that means that it's already probably the middle of February, if I've gotten it done. And we will be playing Bayonetta in February. The checkpoints are already up for this hack and slash adventure. We're going to be playing it by chapter. So, um, I'm really excited about playing this. There's a lot of buzz around it when it came out. And uh, I think I mentioned on the last show that I didn't have a PS3 at the time. So it was one that was getting a lot of buzz. And I was just kind of watching it in the background. And uh, I'm happy to kind of catch up and get to play this game. Sean, have you played it before? I have played it before. Um, I've only played it once and it was a long time ago. So when we were discussing games to play, I was really behind this one because I want to play it again. And I did finally get a copy of Bayonetta 2 for the Switch. So I am happy to refresh on the first one before I dive into Bayonetta 2. So that's really cool. Awesome. Well, we have already selected our game for March. And uh, yeah, there's a little hint at the beginning of the show where we were talking about the What Are You Playing segment and the 2019 NES Site Challenge. This is a game that is very dear to me. It's something that I played in my childhood. However, I feel like this game is also and maybe more endearing to my co-host, so I'm going to let him tell you which game that is. I haven't talked about it in a while, but I know I've said on the air, it must have been a long time ago, like I never was into JRPGs or RPGs in general until about the year 2012. However, when I was a kid... I played Dragon Warrior tons because a lot of people will realize that it came for free when you subscribe to Nintendo Power. Yes. And back in the day, when you only had a couple, a handful of games, you played what you had and it didn't matter. I didn't know what a JRPG was. I knew the game Dragon Warrior. And it's very near and dear to my heart. And it's my avatar on the forum as the cover of... Dragon Warrior, and that's because when Jesse was alive and he was on RF Generation, that was his avatar. So when he passed away, I changed my avatar to the cover of Dragon Warrior, and I will never change it for as long as I shall live. As long as RF Generation exists, that will be my avatar. We've been talking about this for years, and we knew that eventually we would have to play it. And, uh, yeah, just near and dear to my heart. And I can't wait to talk about it more. <laughs> yeah. And I will say something funny that I have been doing is I couldn't wait to start playing it, but I didn't <laughs> want to get too far ahead. Uh, so I have been playing the game, but I haven't done anything in the game. I've only been grinding. 
So I have a level 13 character who hasn't done anything in the game. <laughs> so I'm running around killing werewolves and goblins and wyverns, and I'm a little bit overpowered for the first dungeon, let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> Never hurts, though, man. This game is going to require some grinding for sure. I remember that very well as a kid. Yeah, so that's it. Dragon Quest in Japan or Dragon Warrior on the NES. And also our listeners are probably aware there was a Super Famicom re-release of Dragon Quest 1 and 2. And there is a fan patch out for that. So if you want to play the Super Famicom or SNES, as it were, version, you can. And also they released on the Game Boy Color. Uh, That version doesn't look too attractive because of the handheld kind of crushed on the screen nature of it. But I've heard it's not bad. So... Lots of options and ways to play this game. And even if you want the original NES cartridge, it goes for about five bucks. And I actually ended up grabbing a second copy of the game just because I wanted the instruction manual. So I bought a copy of the game with the manual just so I could get the manual. So now I have two copies. If anybody needs one, just PM me and I'll... I have an extra copy on the NES. (laughs) I might need to make sure mine still saves before we get going. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. So I did mention at the beginning of the show regarding the NES site challenge that we're doing on the website, that thread actually has a place where you can claim your games. And I spoke to Krabby about it. I'd already told him what we were playing because I had to have him in on this. But what I did in the portion where it lists all the games, I just put the word Playcast beside Dragon Warrior. And I don't think anyone has mentioned it or seen it yet. So I just kind of snuck that in there, you know, as something that we were going to do as a group. And uh, was just curious if anyone on the site would see it during that time. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we reserved it. No one else played it. No one was able to check it off the list. And for that specific game, I want it to be documented. The Playcast beat that game, not just one individual in our community. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks for doing that. That's very cool.
And that's going to do it for another episode. Thank you for listening and thanks for participating in the playthrough. An extra special thanks to Corey, also known as Turn Around and Run, for joining us on the show. In March, we're going old school with the granddaddy of all JRPGs. It's Dragon Quest for the Famicom, otherwise known as Dragon Warrior for the NES. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next month on the Playcast. And they're backing the vampires in this destruction and takeover of Earth. And so, sorry, it's a mic. All right. Oh no, let me fix. Hit my mic filter. <laughs>